京都に報告された新型コロナウイルスの感染者数は10人で8日連続で40人を下回りました肺炎の原因とみられる新型コロナウイルスが日本国内で初めて確認されました政府としてはまずは足元の感染拡大防止に向けて全力を挙げて取り組み当事体が収束した後には国葬がより良い仕組み はい。A podcast that was quite reminiscent of another、um, one of my favorite podcasts, which is The Red Scare.、Uh-huh. And、um, then we messaged a bit, and you let me know that you had interviewed Dasha from The Red Scare、That's、about、right. Evangelion,、yeah. putting two of my favorite things <laughs> together. And I was just like, holy shit. And I've been listening ever since. Thank you. And I,、um, I'm really tickled by your Twitter presence because we both do very different things on very, Twitter. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have sort of sequestered myself into this vortex of、um, like alt right people and like、uh, conservative. Alt left. I'd say alt left. I don't even know anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> dirtbag left, right? Okay. I don't really know anymore. <laughs> I have tried so much to like stop thinking about. Dirt bag left, or like what it means, or who is it. I'm, I'm trying to like exercise it from myself, like cleanse myself of that political art house. Art house. Yes, art house. Exactly. This is this is an art space,、this、and、is. so no、um, obnoxious like labels about. Oh, this person's dirt bag left, right? This person's a Maoist, you know. Wah, wah, wah. I can't take any of it. So it's expunged.、Um, but in any case, that, that does kind of seem to be the demographic. But anyway, that's, that, that's my universe. And then you follow, like, Gai Kokujin, like, foreigner Twitter. I am very in Gaijing Twitter, balls deep in Gaijing Twitter. I basically、uh-huh. don't follow anybody that is not in Japan. I can't imagine that because <laughs> I,、um, you know, being a little me country girl making do in the、Nakahoma. rice field. 
worlds. Yeah, literally. (laughs) But, like, I was so annoyed to meet another foreigner for, like, three years. Okay. I could barely handle it. I, how, you you know, the ContraPoints cringe video, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) I lived that whole experience. Like, the whole thesis of that video comes to me when I hear other foreigners speaking Japanese. That's a phase. Because I see myself in the mirror. Yeah. And then I scream inside. That's a phase. We all go through it. We all have that, (laughs) like, you know, we're, we're hanging out with foreigner friends and then... You know, you you always have the ones that, you know, are absolutely lovely and can't speak a lick of Japanese yeah. or just have, like, incredibly broken. And, you know, it's already, it, we're already so subconscious about our ability to speak Japanese here. Because, right. Because, like, you know, spoiler alert, you're not getting anywhere near an experience of living in Japan unless you know Japanese. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly difficult to navigate anything in Japan without decent, workable Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I actually kind of envy your experience because living in the Yanaka there's no options for oh, English. Because no. I came here and I have friends who don't speak any Japanese and I don't... It's shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, I just can't believe it. Because if I didn't, like, you know, pick up at least a little bit, I wouldn't have been able to do literally anything. Mm-hmm. But I guess you can here mm-hmm. in Tokyo. Did you study Japanese at school? For a year. Okay. The The way I got good at it was being forced to live in the countryside, yep. having a boyfriend, and then working at the cross-dresser bar. That's Those perfect. three things, I didn't study for like two years, and I got to a good speaking level, and then I was like, okay, I have to study. Like, there, I actually have to study. Yeah. So that's where we're at now, mm-hmm. and it's gotten me to a point where... um things are working out good yeah i actually i i my high school offered japanese Mm -hmm. um i had to kind of force my parents to let me take japanese i had to drop out of spanish because they're like crazy conservative um not quite anti-vax but they're very (laughs) trump supporter people and um they were like oh you know america's gonna be all spanish speaking in 10 years you need to learn spanish and I was already coming in disadvantaged because my middle school didn't have Spanish. And right. so they were like, you know, well, you got to start Spanish in high school. And nobody uh-huh. was, you know, in the beginner level Spanish classes. And so I was doing the stupidest shit in Spanish. And so I was like, you know, hmm, I really like anime and especially this thing called Evangelion. I'm going to go ahead and just enroll in Japanese um, halfway through high school and uh, yeah. fuck my parents for it. I just have to say... Um... Evangelion is absolutely one of the reasons I speak Japanese. Oh, yeah. It it really is. Like, how embarrassing that is, I don't care, because it's merely true, and Mm -hmm. I have no regrets about it. Um, Your parents kind of sound based. Like, they're kind of right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, isn't it, like, Spanish, like, 51 for, like, it's, like, the most spoken language in America now or something? I don't know. I thought I heard that somewhere. Native speakers would be definitely not. Right, but, but like, second or, I don't know. Oh, it's at least second. This is what happens when anyone challenges me to politics, because I'm like, isn't Spanish the most spoken language (laughs) Like, it's nice to have Spanish, but to get to the point where, like, you're actually using Spanish, uh-huh. I was never going to get to that oh point. Oh, my God. I mean, I just, I had a petrifying fear of languages when I was in high school. Really? Oh, yeah. I was convinced I would never, for some reason, it just, like, seemed like something I couldn't do, so I took mm. ASL. What? It took oh, sign language. I thought, you, <laughs> I thought you meant ESL. ESL. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, tr- I I did ASL, okay, and uh, I was terrible at it. And then I was still afraid in college, so I took an easy, <laughs> easy. I had heard from a friend that the Swahili program was really. <laughs> 
so I took I took Swahili oh God. for two years, and the whole time I could have been studying Japanese, but I was too self conscious. I freed myself from that. Yes. Now I will do whatever, but you know, for a long time I really was like really trying to get the easy way out. And honestly, I got all A's in my Swahili class. I can't speak a word of it. Yeah. Hujambo. I have JLPTN2. I guessed on everything, and I got the <laughs> lowest possible score to, to pass. pass. I had to look up the kanji for pass when I checked <laughs> <got> online. <laughs> I didn't know Goke, and oh I passed God. N2. That is so fucked. Um, well, I got an N3 textbook that has, like, basic words, like, younger sister and stuff, and I was like, huh, I didn't know this word before. The only <laughs> thing you need to know is onicha. Onicha. Yeah, like, I have, um, my, my Japanese language is a mess. You have probably a better, like, casual speaking than I definitely do. I don't, I don't. my Japanese is all <laughs> business. I, I spend all day with business emails, uh-huh. like... お世話になっております。Like、you I have been in a slump when it comes to Japanese learning because I have been mm-hmm. here for 7 years now and I have I, I studied Japanese formally. I majored in Japanese in school. I, oh my God. I am like as educated as you can be in Japanese uh-huh. and my ability to use it is still <laughs> bottom rung. Well, I guess for me, it's just is like when I got here, I, you know, it was the first time in my entire life that I had been like truly living like by myself um, as a gay person, you know, <laughs> like being like 21 years old or 22 when I got here and um, I was mostly horny, so I, you know, I would meet guys who would, like, I would, like, Google Translate every message that they sent to me, and be like, yeah, I can Nihongo Shaberu, <laughs> and then I meet them, and then I just, I, you know, force myself into doing, yeah. you know, what I, what I could, and now, here we are. That is how everybody really should learn language, because... Through dick. Through dick, and, you know, because when you're studying the fucking Genki textbooks, you know, I... I brought Genki over to a friend because he doesn't speak but barely any Japanese yeah. um, and was trying to teach him. And he realized that these are college textbooks because it is the only way to actually get the language through is to use, you know, words related to college. Oh, right. But then when you're outside of college trying to use these textbooks, it's like all of the vocabulary is about, like, studying. Yeah, you don't and have to, like, learn words like daigakuin and, like, whatever. No. no. Like, you can learn those very quickly once you have gotten to a certain yeah. point so like um so I, if you if you learn you know vocab surrounding sucking dick and cock you will get a lot further i think because <laughs> like then when you know the, there's there's the the chantoshita business of you know uh-huh. actually like doing the emails and that kind of thing and then there's after the business and when you're doing the drinking and when you're out with the clients and mm. i am horrible when it comes to that mm-hmm. i have been in some very interesting places not necessarily here where it has been very advantageous to be able to speak, you know, bottom rung, you know, kind of like low level dirty Japanese. Right. I can't do it. I just fly. <laughs> I just tap out. I just go home. <laughs> <laughs> just like you, you guys can take care of those. I'm not doing this. Well, um, you know, we are both doing our best. We are we're doing our best. Ganbate imasu. Ganbate imasu. Um, we 
are here today because I have just moved to Tokyo three weeks ago, as I said. And Congratulations. Thank you. This is the first episode I've recorded since, you know, I moved. I'm starting a new life here. Shinseikatsu. Shinseikatsu. I have a Shin Tomodachi in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, to really kick off the second part of my second season of my show... I think it's important to kind of realize some of the context that it's been created in. And we're going to talk about that context, which is coronavirus. Coronavirus! I have, coronavirus. I have never spoken in detail about COVID on my show, ever. I mean, it's come up, like, passively. Um, I find it artless. I hate mask discourse. I hate literally everything. I, I am exhausted of hearing about it. And... Honestly, I think, like, COVID is, like, the paranoia agent, like, motto me curse. It's, like, it's spoken into existence. So I, um, I'm betraying all of those impulses not to talk about it, and we're gonna go through the whole history of it. And it's for a good reason. It's because we're using it, um, to talk about, uh, probably the best blockbuster made since Titanic, Shin Godzilla. So, uh, before we get there, let's talk about coronavirus. Let's COVID-19. talk about it. <laughs> so... Do you remember um, how it felt when it started here? I was excited. I, I was, was excited. I was very excited. I had been watching the movie. Uh, I'd recently watched the movie Contagion again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually was in the States um, <clears throat> when the news started trickling in a little bit about this weird virus in China. And um everyone was starting to be a little bit like oh that's interesting and i you know primed by the movies was very much like it's happening it's happening Mm -hmm. and um so i went into it with with a kind of excitement about you know what is this going to be like this is going to be like you know the you know who was in that movie um matt damon and and um jude law and kate winslet perhaps kate winslet yes r.i.p i didn't didn't see it she dies in the movie Um, (laughs) um and Honestly, it's a thousand times worse because in Contagion and in a lot of these uh, blockbuster movies, mm-hmm. the virus just is out to kill you. And in reality, it's a three day death kind of it thing. It really is. Yeah. And, and in reality, in the, COVID the is a very sinister virus because it's basically like, what, a hundred thousand times worse than the flu in terms of, you know, death and complications and that kind of thing. But it's just not bad enough to really get people to see how serious the situation is well you know full disclosure i don't i don't see (laughs) i um what what you said about being excited when it kicked in Mm -hmm. i felt exactly the same way i think everyone was riveted yeah because the contemporary condition is such a slog and you know going through the daily news cycle of having to like read the hysterical guardian like news articles about like Trump every day like followed by like the mm. same like infographics of like faceless people like putting their fists up and give me a break you know, <laughs> no exactly so it's like everything was like this useless like kind of faux activism and like boring artlessness right and it's all spiraling and then finally we get something like major like we get something big so the first like 3 weeks i was thrilled to bits i was riveted um i I think everyone was like kind of like fascinated to be like you know in a moment together because what was the last one like 9 11 honestly how has anything like that like happened to everyone in the same way like since then 
311 in Japan, I think. Oh, um, yeah. Were you here for that? I was not. Yeah. Um, but I was awake, weirdly enough. Oh. It was like one or two in the morning. I had been watching anime with a friend. Um, I was in college, and so I just check CNN constantly for no good reason. Um, it's just where my fingers go on the keyboard. And I saw like, you know, magnitude 9.0 hit, uh-huh. uh, hits um, Japan. And um, then I watched actually the um, NHK camera footage of the tsunami oh, coming okay. in. And you were like in high school then? No, I was in college. And I was in middle school. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> There's only five years between us. Holy fuck. Yeah, I, it was like my, it was like eighth grade or something. And they showed it to us, um, the footage of like the fucking apartments getting taken apart yeah. by the waves, like in class and everything. Um, I bought Lady Gaga's uh, benefit bracelet. Oh. It was a white pause up bracelet <laughs> that had Japanese on it and I wore that oh, for about two years. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I mean that but no, that might be one of the the only closer things that has like really touched everyone. Yeah, and I mean this also ties into um uh you know the the movie and and coronavirus because um you know Shingo Jiro is basically a um kind a kind of commentary on what happened in fukushima but we'll, we'll talk about why yeah. i don't quite buy that i don't either but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get there um but when it comes to COVID, i mean when i mean you i i am interested in hearing what the inaka experience is because in tokyo we you know as soon as the cases started going into the dozens i mean everything just shut down mm-hmm. everyone was so freaked out about this right because the, i remember some of the first like poignant images of, of COVID because I mean something to you know take note of is that like this happened to us before it happened to anyone else basically I mean like China duh being right next to us yeah. yeah but like we kind of experienced like the first like visual touches of COVID like mm-hmm. the first like way that it started to be like rendered culturally was like here yeah so like the images of like Shibuya scramble like completely empty with like four people yeah and this is when there was like 12 cases yeah yeah and I remember um, walking home a lot during that time because I would see all of the buildings. Um, I, I, I walk from uh, Shibuya up Harajuku and mm-hmm. I have a video of all of the shut down, um, you know, uh, stores and stuff. And it was very eerie because, you know, I, I'd been I, I've, I've been both like very pleased and also very annoyed at how empty the city has become because for the past several years tourism has just become so fucking restrictive and constrictive on living here yeah because basically japan's economy is turning into a tourist economy because right. it's the only way that they can get fucking money into the country yeah and so now after several years of that ramping up to the point where you know you can't even go to kyoto anymore because it's just wall-to-wall you know tourists from all over the world now it seeing the city completely bare was this just breath of fresh air honestly to you know oh i'm living here fuck all of you who are just coming here to mm-hmm. like you know check it out and whatever i i'm in the grind i'm i i'm this is my home yeah and so it's been kind of nice to kind of have a reprieve from that but at the same time you know 
I've noticed like English ability has gone down the fucking drain. Nobody can speak English anymore. Um, you know, you used to be able to go into a, a restaurant and, you know, they would be talking to you in English. And then, you know, the guy gene Twitter thing to do would be to complain about, you know, oh, this fuck. is a different reality from any. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the guy gene Twitter thing to do is just be very like, you know, oh, they tried to talk to me in Japanese er, in English. And, you know, I wanted to talk in, Jap- in Japanese and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I don't really get too deep into that, but it was starting to become very, you know, you were seen much more as a tourist than you were somebody that was here. Uh-huh. And so now that we're still in, you know, besides the Olympics, in a way where, you know, there aren't really tourists coming in, if you're a foreigner and you're walking around, people... People know that you're here for something, yeah. right? Well, I mean, that was initially... Well, I mean, I just moved to Tokyo so recently, and there are, <laughs> have been no tourists, yeah. obviously, since I've been here. But one of the things I love most about Mie and Nagoya was that no one goes there. Like, yeah. <laughs> no one tours there. Like, there's no foreigners, like, running around to, like, do, like, photo shoots at, yeah. like, the shrines and what have you. So whenever people, like, encounter you there, they take you very earnestly. Mm. So, you know, I've always read that Tokyo is very really isolating and people, like, kind of, like, always, like, see you differently because they think you're just a, a tourist or whatever. I've never had that experience in my entire life. Not yet here, no. It will happen eventually, yeah. you know, when they open up the borders in, like, three years or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. um... But, I mean, at the same time, I know exactly what you're talking about because I did go to Kyoto when mm. there were tourists here. And it's not a place that you go. It, it's, like, not, like, somewhere to travel to now. It's, it's a like theme a, park. It's a theme park. It literally is. Like, it was very distressing. And I was living there in 2014. Right. And the contrast between... I went in 2019 right before everything went to shit. And um, just an unmovable hordes of people um there's just certain parts of the city i just didn't go to anymore i mean you could what's the name of like what's the big fox shrine that has like the thousand like oh um well there's two main shrines it's um, the one that has like the thousands of uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gates. it's uh oh fuck me it's like e you know, you know, you know. i know i can't yeah, remember yeah. but the, whatever the, the name yeah is, that one i went with my friend because i was like oh i haven't been to kyoto like we're going together he's visiting like this mm-hmm. is a famous spot let's go there Chinese people everywhere, mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't, I don't have like a problem, but it, it's mm-hmm. shocking. I have never seen so many Chinese people in one place in my entire yep. life. It's like a visual yeah. shock, and um, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. seeing all of these places that are just usually thronged with tourists is completely yeah. emptied, and like the photographs and stuff was like the first like visual impression that like oh, like a cultural mm-hmm. moment is happening. Inari. That's it. You got it. Yeah, and I mean the. I, I don't want to, you know, harp too much on like Chinese tourists being shit. Because, oh no, no, like I don't. No, well, everyone shit. The worst people the on them were French. The we, French people yeah. were by far the worst <laughs> that I encountered on over trip. over time. The 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 types of tourists that come from certain countries like kind of are shit. So yeah. like you know when Americans were getting rich and going all over the place, we were the fucking assholes and the worst. And mm-hmm. now you know it's so gentrified in America that the only people that are actually able to go outside the country are you know the elites or whatever and the people who know not to you know be assholes out and about or at Mm -hmm. least be sly about being assholes well i don't don't know it you know exactly what it's about or whatever you know well i think that for when it comes to chinese there's so much new money Uh that people that are actually going on these tourists and stuff tours and stuff are kind of coming from you know oh i see what you mean they're coming from the boonies and stuff (laughs) so they're, they're not people that are used to like you know 
being in a city and like you know mm-hmm. conforming to certain types of rules and stuff like that so i think that that's kind of like why oh i don't yeah specifically i, I really there, don't but i, I, I also, find it delightful honestly I, but the french <laughs> you bring up the french um yeah the French. the French. I mean, I love, I love France. I love they, French. I mean, look, oh literally God. climax movie poster right there. Like, <laughs> well, we were one in my of my house, good friends it, is but... French, and she is just like so French. I like, oh, I went when I was in France. I was like, I'm in America. I am in a very liberal America. It is it <laughs> liberal. Is so, oh, France? No way. What? France is crazy liberal, but it's like crazy anti-Semitic, right? Well, I don't. I didn't encounter any of that. But I mean, like, <laughs> I no. But I mean, like, you know, they're very proud about their social systems. They're very uh-huh. proud about their country and stuff. And so it's just this this kind of nationalism that you know in the states we get fed it by this kind of like you know ultra you know you know yeah pledge of allegiance and all this kind of stuff. But the French are just proud of their country uh-huh. in a way that's like you know because they are you know stand up and and you and know do like, something yeah. yeah and and i i really admire that about you know the french and i i've never been to paris i've actually only been to bordeaux okay um and so we're not talking about like you know touristy areas here uh-huh. it's it's and i was like meeting people that just like live there and i just got this very like almost kind of american but better vibe from them and I really loved it. Okay, interesting. We are so off topic. I'm sorry. No, it's quite. No, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, let's maybe like delete all the tourist stuff. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay, I keep everything in at this rate, honestly. Okay. But, um, yeah. So we've seen all of like the city and like most of Japan like empty out, yes. and um, this is the first moment that like COVID starts to become like real for people. Um, it's not happening at all in the West. Mm-hmm. It's just here for maybe like two or three weeks before yeah. it sinks in everywhere else. Yeah. And um, the anti-Chinese sentiment was peaking. And during this time, I just um, I sat in my house and like wrote. I, I, like, started this, like, really intense, like, line relationship with this guy I met on the internet where, like, he was paying me to, like, write him erotica, so I just, like, did that for three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And that was all I did, so I didn't care about the rest of the world, because I was having, you know, my Henry Miller fantasy for three weeks. <laughs> but, wow. um, when it ended, like, mm-hmm. when that initial, um, sort of phase came to an end... Mm-hmm. Then that's kind of when things became, like, really hectic and uh, unorganized and distressing. Because yes. we had the lack of toilet paper. <laughs> I love that. The toilet paper panic, because people were afraid that, what, it was, like, infected because most of it was made in China? No, it was a supply-demand issue where um, there was a little bit of a... This had apparently happened during the SARS um outbreak as well Mm -hmm. and so it's just one of those things where people kind of think that you know milk and bread and eggs and that kind of thing are the first things to go but in reality what history has actually taught us is that it's toiletries and Uh essentials like that that people end up stocking up on and i remember um you know i i had bought some toilet paper before this had happened but then i remember going into multiple places to look for just i was looking for rice actually rice was out for a couple of weeks i remember um but uh, toiletries were just completely gone. No alcohol mm-hmm. wipes, nothing. No masks. There's just... The masks was really it. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah, there were no masks. I mean, my boyfriend was working at a hospital, so he gave me, like, ten cloth masks. Like, nice. And I had that, but, like, uh, the masks... Okay, so we gotta talk about masks. Yeah, talk about masks. So, this is one of the biggest points of contention in America. Mm-hmm. And I just... 
I don't get it. I mean, it's, I, this is me, like, losing all of my credibility as, like, a, you know, kind of, like, an edgy podcaster or whatever. But, like, I don't, I, I just am very confused. Like, it's so easy to do it here because yeah. everyone does it. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I've heard from most, you know, kind of surveys taken about the, the question. It's like, oh, like, I wear masks because everyone else does. Yep. And so everyone does. Yep. I, it's annoying Mm-hmm. It feels like a diaper on your face or like someone has like strapped underwear to your face mm-hmm. and it's horrific and I hate it, but everyone does it. So mm-hmm. you do it. Yeah. And it's never been a question here. Yeah. I have worn masks like way before COVID. Like when I was mm-hmm. like, how did you know, a little cough, you yep. wear a mask to work. Yep. I have done this and it never struck me as shocking when it started to happen. Yeah. But this became one of the biggest points of contention in the West and like continues to be like people yeah. are still like furious about mask mandates and everything. It's like, I guess this is kind of like the big difference between like Eastern and Western culture. Totally. Is that here you do what's being done mm-hmm. and maybe abroad it's different. Definitely. And in, in abroad, I think there is a much more intense um, stigma about visual signs of being ill because one of the things that i find very interesting here is that you know if you're ill you put on a mask and that's it i still don't want to be around people who are sick sick and wearing a mask yeah because they take the mask off and then they and they cough cough shit up into their hand i have seen so many like fucking 50 year old japanese men just like spitting up yellow crayon melt into their hand yep but they still gotta go out and put the mask on yeah yeah because that's the the there's a very interesting divide between practicality and social pressure because especially like I've seen so many people and I've seen it in person of people someone will be wearing a mask and then they'll like pull the mask down to sneeze. I do this. <laughs> I do that. I literally do yeah, that it, all the time. I, I, I'm was, not going to sneeze in the piece of paper. It, it has been an interesting reflex of mine that I tend to want to pull it down, but then I'm always somebody that like did the I always elbow. The, yeah, the yeah, elbow I thing. Always I always it. do the elbow yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So of course, I take the mask off my fucking face mm-hmm. and then I sneeze in my elbow because yeah. I am not mm-hmm. going to sneeze in the yeah. paper. And I, I found like I I only wear like the Uniqlo cloth masks. Like I don't uh-huh. do the disposable ones. That. Right. That just does not work for okay. me. Okay, I do what's convenient. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the same with underwear for me. Okay. I will make sure it's clean, and mm-hmm. I will put it on. Yeah. Anything goes. Yeah. I I really don't like the the disposable masks. I find them very... Um, but the cloth ones, when they get sweaty, they get really sweaty. Yeah, and that's when, like, sometimes I'll, like, kind of go outside and just kind of, like, pull the mask off for a few minutes and just let it kind of air out a bit. Because... Um, <laughs> it's so distressing that we have to do that. <laughs> Why don't you go inside for this extra face of pen yeah. to go air it up? Yeah, and I mean, it's just like, you know, I don't know. I'm going to clean my face at the end of the day. I clean my face at the beginning of the day. It's just kind of yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, I, definitely when I had to wear the paper ones, that was when I was just like, ugh, I, I hated it because it just felt like this plasticky piece of thing on my face. Uh-huh. But now that I have the cloth ones on and I've just been doing it for fuck a year and a half now, it it's just kind of part of life. Well, I think something that makes it easier... Is that Japanese people look way cuter with masks on than white people do? Because something about like the dimensions of my face, where like things are like, more sunken in or whatever, mm. and like the mask goes here, it makes my face look like a beach ball, like <laughs> stuffed into the mask. Whereas like Japanese people have like a cute like little like I don't want to say like 
they have like a little like mysterious like cuteness to them. <laughs> They've definitely like fashionized them yeah. in a way. Yeah, because I the black mask that's the way to go. Oh yeah, yeah. A oh, black yeah. mask is the only way to do I it. I don't wear white masks. Mine are either well, it's the colors of Uniqlo, so black, silver, and and beige kind of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. <sighs> I, I had a real problem with masks because number one, at the, during the beginning, there was just such a you know lack of them, and then work was making me wear one, and it wasn't until like Uniqlo finally came out with them, and I think it was June 2020 that I was finally able to like go get some of them, but then I had to keep washing them yeah. and all this stuff. And I remember like bitching to my um, oh wait no I made masks no I did yes no yes I learned to sew and I made masks out of what out of just uh t uh t uh, t uh, shirts. This is nuts. Yeah, and I, I can't believe I completely <laughs> forgot this. It was, it was, yeah, during the beginning of this, I my my craft kind of thing, the thing that I would do is I would go home and I would be uh, ripping up stuff. And uh, there were so many U- uh, YouTube tutorials at the time oh my God. of people like showing you how to make masks out of oh different fabrics and stuff. And I, I remember I, I had to learn how to do it, and I was going to Daiso several times um, a week to figure out how to do all this. And by the end of it, I had a I had a good batch of masks, and they they lasted for several months. So we had to do masks, yeah, and we still do, mm-hmm. and it probably will never go away. Yeah. Um, how do I feel about this? I would like to go to a club in the future and have no masks. Yeah, I don't really care when I'm on the train. Um, my workplace, everyone sits far enough apart. We just take the mask off. Oh, okay. It's fine. It feels okay well, to me. work with foreigners. Yeah. So. And we're on the phone. It's like, I don't want to be talking through. I mean, if I had to do like, okay, when I was teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to wear a mask. When I was teaching for work and I had to teach through a mask, that was the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I would rather get raped again than do that. Like multiple times over. It was disgusting. My face was ruined. Horrible. That should never have to happen to anyone ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, put the kids on the other side of the room or something, but, like, it is unbearable to do that. To have to speak up through a mask. Mm -hmm. And I had coworkers whose, like, voices, like, were thrown out after... Awful. When I have to... The other day, um, or yesterday, actually, I got um, McDonald's from the place I always get McDonald's from. And um, I walked up to the thing. I've ordered at McDonald's a million times in Japanese. I've never had a problem, but... The combination of the plastic thing in the middle, oh my god, the my mask, the other person's mask, we were just not able to communicate, and so she was treating me like somebody that doesn't speak Japanese. Oh, the same thing happened to me at Family Mart two days ago. I was like, yeah. I was literally asking for my cigarettes. I was like, mm-hmm. Nana Junivan, and he was like, Nani, Nani. He like, like, like got closer, to the, and like, I got closer to the plastic. <sighs> so like, we're like both like, like this close. To, I'm like. Nana ju ni ba, and then he's like, Nani, I was like, I can't do this. I was That's like, gonna be a Japanese like, Nana, TV. ni. I was yeah. like, please, like, help me. I was like, I, you heard me, but it's like. That's the, the thing. It's like the the whole COVID reaction is just like putting multiple like barriers between people, and for a oh, lot of people, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. You know, they sure. never had to. I mean, so many people I know back in America just order their like food in all the time. Like mm-hmm. they like work like really like simple like jobs where they go into the office they don't talk to people like they just yeah. like do their thing come home so so many people were like unsurprised by this and it makes them very susceptible to like being like really like gung-ho about all the measures right yeah i was someone who's already like very close to other people and like all so when 
layer after layer after layer like keeps coming in between you and other people gets very distressing mm-hmm. and i didn't you know it was easy for us here mm-hmm. in comparison to america we never got locked oh, down yeah, yeah. ever yeah we never did a lockdown and that is something that we need to touch upon is that um legally japan can yeah. lock down they can yeah. this is a very big misconception and that i bought into for about a year that um the government has basically been kind of pushing this lie that you know they can't they really can't through the constitution yeah is what they say but um no the provisions under um the um oh god it was in response to i believe swine flu in 2008 they pushed through a measure to basically allow when a new flu you know it doesn't matter what it is but basically the provision was for flu comes in that they can take extreme measures um and they ended up basically using similar measures in um the fukushima disaster in 2011 Mm -hmm. where the um until this had actually happened the government had never used um its powers to say to a population you can't be in this area anymore you legally cannot be here and so um japan could basically just say go to your homes don't be outside if you are outside you have to have a good reason they can do that Mm -hmm. they simply will not okay but here's the thing is that that happened right that they didn't do anything Mm -hmm. and this is when we're having like 12 20 10 cases a day it Mm -hmm. didn't get to over 100 until april here yeah and in america it was spiking into like tens of thousands already at that point so what is the point of a lockdown Mm -hmm. is my is my train of thought because it's like nothing we weren't ever locked down mm-hmm. a lot of i mean in tokyo it's different i know that they actually like did shut down like a lot of like the the, the nightlife and stuff but the whole time i was working i was working the entire mm-hmm. time at the drag bar the mm-hmm. whole time basically there's like two weeks where i didn't and it's like okay we never did that is it the masks that like, work no. here but then the thing is is that we didn't do anything for like a whole year. It's like, you know, a year and a half now. We're coming up at that yeah. point. And now it's getting bad here. You know, it just, yeah. it's just starting to get like truly like yeah. troubling or whatever. Tens of thousands of cases a day. And yet they, like in America, they did lock down. And the whole thing was happening at a way worse pace the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my thinking around this is that, well, COVID is like less of like, you know, I mean, it's an illness that's extremely troublesome and does horrible things to people and people die. Mm-hmm. This is like an unavoidable fact of the matter. Yeah. But the way that it's reacted to, right, that is what really counts. Yeah. That is what like makes COVID is like the yeah. the way it is described and acted upon. And so when Japan has like taken like this like completely like kind of like, okay, just like don't, don't do anything, but it's not, we're not telling you it's not legal like just like, do whatever it's fine but like don't do it you know mm-hmm. it never like got like bad here it, it's because it's mm-hmm. it almost like information it, uh, does this make any sense i'm like it spiraling does. out of so control basically what has happened <laughs> in japan is that you had basically a year of peace a year of peace, <laughs> it was a fine. year a year of compliance i think is a good way of putting uh, it because uh-huh. we basically saw that this is a bad situation you know okay we'll put our lives on hold for a little while right. and until we ride this but out were people not complying during like the initial lockdowns i feel like everyone even the people who didn't want to like were like forced to comply in america i think there was a novelty in japan about this is bad we should do something and in america uh-huh. you had such a huge division politically that as soon as somebody was saying you shouldn't do something. 
there's just a knee-jerk reaction to fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway right and i think that that's really what led to america's really shitty and it's still going on now i mean they're having record cases even now and i think that what has happened is that the virus has evolved along with the people and so the people really can only do so much for so long yeah when you look at the numbers of who's getting sick in japan it's all 20s 30s and even younger right now these those yeah. are the thousands of cases well and it's like, i can't i can't blame anyone for it you know no because it's, it's not like, in our nature yeah. to do this for so long right and it's you know it's especially bad because America, like, they immediately had that reaction. They were like, I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't want to have to do this. Yeah. I mean, like, if we, apparently we didn't in Japan or whatever, right? And, like, yet still, like, there's still, like, so much, like, cultural fallout and stress about it that, of like, course, like, people, like, want to do stuff. Yeah. And this is where the answer comes down to. It's not about what any individual person did. It's about how it was reacted to by the government and, like, what they told us to yes. do. The, and... You know, in America, they got faced with really strict lockdowns. Out of nowhere, people's lives were completely ruined. You mm-hmm. know, people are completely deprived of social contact. They're killing themselves everywhere this is happening, right? And in Japan, what we have is, like, a completely flailing disaster from the government. Yes. Because we have Abe giving us those little Abe no masku. Oh, he gave us Christ. the Abe masks. These little squares. The things that literally don't do anything. Yeah, these squares. Scientifically, they Half don't Half of them work. were, like, moldy. And they sent these to everyone when there was, like, a mask deficit. But, but by the time they sent them, everyone already had masks again. Yeah. Then they said, okay, let's do go-to travel. Go-to travel. I forgot about go-to travel. How could you forget? Because <laughs> I used oh, them, like, five times. They literally were paying people to, like, go run around the country. <sighs> I, I completely blocked that out because it was such a fucking disaster um i this is another interesting aspect where um the big thing that happened in tokyo was that there is that when this first started in i believe february there was a cruise liner oh diamond prince the diamond princess and um (laughs) 700 cases just popped out of nowhere and it was this watching this crazy soap opera like mm-hmm. unfolding on this you know godforsaken yacht and that was when we also started to see the severe double standard that foreigners versus japanese were starting to have because you would have japanese crew members that were able to just leave the ship and it was totally fine and you know oh, we don't mm-hmm. have to test them and um you know oh but the foreigners we got to quarantine them for as long as humanly possible right and i mean that sentiment it lingers continues to this day and will never go away i got into a fight at a beach two weeks ago Ooh. yeah i got into a domestic violence incident Ooh. because i saw two people fighting on the beach and no one did anything it was a very busy beach crowded entirely with japanese people me and my friends were the only foreigners there and this man was beating on his wife mm. or his girlfriend whatever whoever yeah. she was it was visceral and it happened like three times he like walked away came back there was, like, security at, like, the beach like, telling us, like, not to, like, drink or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So we assumed they would do something. Yeah. This happened, like, three times. And when he knocked her down all the way, like, some, like, fucking instinct, like, kicked in and, like, I got yeah. involved in it or whatever. And it's, like, on that day, I was, like, looking for information on Twitter, right, to see mm-hmm. if I could find anything about this certain beach and, like, seeing if I could learn about what happened. And there were five tweets mm-hmm. from... Japanese people tweeting about how there were only foreigners at the beach that day. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was surrounded by a crowd of Japanese people who did nothing about yeah. this. It's like... Ugh. Domestic violence is a very interesting topic because 
we even, can't even start. No, yeah. even when even when the police are called, they don't even want to get involved. I know. I mean, know? I really can't start it because like they didn't do anything about it. They yeah. they never that guy didn't get That's any a, shit or anything. They yeah. just you know just kind of like. It's an unfortunate pattern here. Yeah, I mean, in any case, it just is like the a lot of the blame has been shifted where it doesn't belong. Yeah, let's just say that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know there was a time where there was a lot of oh all the foreigners are the ones that you know are bringing the virus and in. i mean and there's a very kind of true there's a very interesting <laughs> like a there's a very interesting parallel here to um when aids started spreading in japan too i actually know someone who was here during that uh-huh. time and um the sentiment was oh don't have sex with foreigners because you'll get aids from them i mean and so yeah. that kind of similar pattern you know, i mean it's kind of true. On, on every, a, yeah. every horrible thing is kind of true. Yeah, because it's like when you go to Shibuya, who's drinking there? Yeah, it's foreigners. Well, you know, there should be a meltdown, but you know, <laughs> I mean, there are always there are still, but like if yeah. you see, it, the the visual image of like people outside the family more, including myself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I, Halloween, Jesus Christ! Yeah, like, <laughs> like I mean, I was you yeah. know. Every kind of big racist lie is like a little true. There's a Galapagos effect here in Japan because we are on an isolated island. The the country you were on the stage. The country could theoretically completely like close off its borders, and it did for a certain time, unless you were Japanese. And guess who were the people coming in and bringing the virus with them? It was Japanese people. So there's definitely a very Japan's been racist for a very very long time. This is not nothing. This is nothing new, and I don't think that. You know, I, I think that you know what we saw with COVID because when I also started seeing um, the reports coming in about what uh, shops and stuff were doing, is they were writing, "If you're Chinese, don't come into my shop." Oh that's my, what they were. Yeah. That's what they were showing, and in the first couple months of this, and you know, the Olympics folks, you know, if you're walking around as a foreigner around where the Olympics are being held, um, you're going to get looked at because it's like, oh, you're one of the Olympics people. You're one of the people that's you know the reason why the government's not doing anything yeah so let's talk about the olympics oh jesus yes this is like the last big thing that we have to address in this like fuck japanese code <laughs> oh no well, here's the thing no one wanted them no, one. no i have not met one person in this country no. who wants them i've read a few people on twitter who are like oh this is a triumph to the human will no. that we're able to overcome it okay great like sure think that that's lovely no one here wanted them no and i just i'm i don't fucking care about the olympics yeah. i just you know, I, I love the... No, I don't. I don't care. I don't want to give any, like, butt to this. Yeah. I don't care. I don't the, care. The whole thing that I thought about it is, like, okay, this is a project that the government's been putting on. One of the interesting things that I... I the Olympics were announced way before I was even in Japan. And mm-hmm. as even when I came to Japan as a tourist um, years ago, I was seeing stuff about the Olympics. And this yeah. is not something that most Olympic cities do. They do not go all balls out with like you know. Oh, it's I'm Olympic Olympics. They need the tourism yeah. like more than anywhere. Exactly. Because even Brazil, when they had the Olympics, had more industry than Japan does. Exactly. And so what I think the government was trying to do is basically say, okay, we'll tone it down a bit, but this is our PR stunt to really get people to come into Japan when this is all over. Because they're you know Abe's entire economic one of his pillars was getting tourism into japan yeah there were what 50 million people coming into japan every year at the peak before covid hit that that is an 
unbelievable number. There are 125 million people that live here. Yeah. You're getting almost half of the entire population into the country every year just to, you know, walk around, to spend run money. around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also the Olympics, there's a lot of interesting smaller factors you can look at too. Like I have a theory that basically the Olympics is partially being put on to keep ANA and JAL afloat the um the uh japanese airlines mm-hmm. because i see those planes come Every right day. overhead they are all so, the time and, i mean in tokyo they're it's especially ridiculous. fucking visible you can see them in like you know raise your hand to the full l shape and they are that big in your hand i am in the the flight path uh-huh. they come right over my apartment i'm sure they do so just yeah. every five minutes you can see them I just, the Olympics, nobody who lives here no. wanted them. Not one person. No. And, you know, any, I think maybe the point I was trying to make before I got overwhelmed with emotion was that, you know, I can understand why people want, like, proof of the human spirit right now and, like, why they want people to overcome and, you know, sure. blah, blah, blah. Um, but when you're doing it in a country and no one wants it except for the government, there's, you know, a question there, right? And, I'm just tired of having to, like, live, like, this proletariat life. Like, having to, like, work some stupid job and, like, everybody decides everything for you. Everyone thrashes underneath it. Nobody wants this thing to happen. And then it happens and nothing. It's... What happens is that everyone knew that when the Olympics would start that people would kind of imagine that everything is fine and would, like, kind of react that way. So they did. And then now cases are worse than they ever were. Yeah, cases spiked during the olympics outside because everyone was basically and it's not because of people bringing it in or something no, it's because it people had all, the mindset that yes. you know the government says that things are okay enough to do the olympics and that must mean it's okay enough for us to do whatever we want everybody at the olympics was getting tests daily you can't get a test to save your fucking it life two hundred dollars even with symptoms they don't want to test you that they, they so here's a really interesting thing in Australia, when they were starting to have a little bit of an outbreak and then they went into lockdown, they were doing hundreds of thousands of tests they've during that period. They've never done tests that much here, ever. The most that they've ever done in a single day, I think, is 30,000, and that's on a good day. I just... Today, they tested in Tokyo. They tested 12,000 people. Yeah, and what was the, the 3, total? 3,400 yeah. of them were positive. That is a 30-something percent. It, it has been 50% and above positivity rate. They will not test anybody here. It is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's like, I don't I don't even know what to be mad about anymore. I, just, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. know. Everybody's just pissed <laughs> off. And that's that's exactly why cases are going up. Because the people... The people that, are fed up. And no one is doing anything about it. No. That, that That's the whole story. Is that, no. like, we have had to go through a year and a, a, year and a half of having our lives delayed. Yeah. Right? And it's like, even if it wasn't as bad as other places, it still happened to us. Yes. And so then they just, you know, keep being like, oh, it's getting worse. But, like... Whose job is it to do something about it? The government. Why can't I get a vaccine yet? Like, it's like, you know, and people are like, oh, the vaccine's fake. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to get the vaccine because I'm going to need it for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter to me if it like, really works or if it like, puts something in my arm. People are already watching me on my phone mm. the whole time. I don't care if I'm like a fucking beta about it. Mm. I just want this so I can go on with the rest of my life. And here's the most frustrating thing is it's, that... It's not the people. You know what I mean? It's that even with the vaccine, we're still fucked. I know. Because we because took of, too goddamn long to get it done. The um, America had this like lovely little period where it was oh, fine and it was yeah, truly fine it was truly it was fine truly because fine. the vaccine was working for you know the variants at the time but then delta variant that oh. fucking cunt 
no, I, just, I don't even want to think about it because it's like yeah. I don't. I refuse to acknowledge its, its existence. I just don't yeah. believe in it. I, I just that's too far for me to ideologically distrust myself anymore. Yeah. No, not real. Yeah. I. It's not fair to put all of this stress on human beings, like, actual humans, and not, like, lizard people like Obama, who's having, like, his parties without masks. Like, those people... No, they don't get... I... It's not fair for their class to put all of the psychological, like, turmoil of this onto us. Yeah. And we had to deal with it every day. So I can't get a beer when I go have ramen for dinner. That's (laughs) retarded. That is literally... I love that. So stupid. Like... No. It's like, it's not, it's not about, you know, <laughs> you sitting there for half an hour. By myself. By yourself. Listen to a fucking podcast. Meters like, away from people, eating with without a mask on. Between with plastic between a bunch of people. It's the beer. It's the beer. It's, it's the, the fucking beer. beer. It's like the first time that Japan has ever demonized alcohol. That that was another really interesting thing about <laughs> about living here because like in a, in the states, alcohol is like this demonized. Yeah, it's kind like, of oh thing. the evil yeah. thing that it's ruins like, lives. Here no. it is your it is the love of the world. It, it is it is a I, I I see this thing in a lot of office spaces where it says like you know oh you know uh, on Wednesdays it's uh, no zangyo day no over overtime day go drinking is one of the things that they say go exercising go drinking like. It, it just boggles my mind that like you can see that in in a public in a in a professional space yeah. to be encouraged to go drink. So, we have been talking for you know about fifty minutes or so, and um, coronavirus. It has ruined my life, and I'm tired of it. And I am tired of discoursing about it. I'm tired that. I'm exhausted yeah. because I want to go to Nichome. <laughs> I want to go to the gay district. I want to go have wild sex with people without a mask on and get really sweaty and like, you know, rub my face against people's asshole or something. <laughs> and it's not fair that I can't do that. I want to worry about HIV, not COV. I don't even do. want to worry about HIV anymore. I want, I want someone to fucking shoot me up with their dirty load. It's just <laughs> I'm a bug chaser for all that. Like, I... I can't take any more of this. Like, I can't. So I won't. And it's... No one should ever be scolded or they had their fingers shaken at them because at the end of the day, it's not what any of us did. Not one person is responsible for this except for the people who run the world. Our human nature is to be outraged about this and to basically say, you know what, if you're not going to help me, fuck you. And it's really, you know, masks off for lack of a better term because... (laughs) What the fuck else are we supposed to do? Nobody's helping. No one's doing shit. Yeah, so if no one is doing anything except giving us tiny scraps of paper that are moldy, like, if that is the best you can do for us, and you want to tell me that I am not allowed to sit, you know, fucking across the table from you, have a highball, and chat with you about it, fuck them. Yeah. And I mean, like, this is not a call to unmask and no. not get vaccinated or anything like that. But this is the reality that we're living in. No, no that's because that's the whole thing about my show is that this isn't about the politics of it. I don't care if you get the vaccine or if you don't. I don't care if you wear the mask or if you don't. I mean, if you're in Japan and you don't wear the mask, you're going to look really weird. You're going to get you're gonna, you're gonna get You're, you're going to get the police. Really especially weird. if you're a foreigner, you're going to get the police called on you. <laughs> Which, um, okay. <laughs> what to think about that? But it's like, I'm not going to give any political prescriptions about it. I'm mm. just saying it's like, this is the re- emotional reality of this. It really is, yeah. Yeah. So, I think I want to have a cigarette. <laughs> 
So that's the last thing I'm ever going to say about COVID on my podcast. All right. We, we got it out of... I just... Having to, like, live through it the whole time... Mm-hmm. I had to get it out of my system. Yeah. Because this is the context that my podcast was birthed in, was, like, being, you know, like, stuck with people who are, like, not sure what to do, not having enough, you know, clearance from the government to feel confident about, you know, their choices, Olympics being... All of it. That That is where my podcast was able to be birthed in. So now I've confronted my mother and now I have killed her. I don't want to uh, fuck her. I kill my mother because I'm gay. Stab her and fuck the loon. But I think it was very important to get COVID out of the way so that we can talk about the most important disaster movie made since Titanic. One of the, In the same vein, the best blockbuster made since that film. And it is Ano Hideaki's Shin Gojira. Shin Gojira. Sometimes in America referred to as Gods of the Resurgence, which is the worst name I've ever heard. Or as um, Ishihara says, Godzilla. Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did her dirty. Now, the reason I want to talk about this movie so bad is not just because it is virtually a perfect movie that made me cry five times when I rewatched it last night, and not just because um, I will lick the ground that Anna walks and literally everything he's done I think is genius um he's the director of Evangelion um he's done Love and Pop which I also think is a really perfect masterpiece it's not just because of that and it's not just because of COVID which is um sort of a disaster simulacrum that Godzilla also confronts in this film but because it is an emotional, beautiful, exciting, perfect movie that I'm just really willing and thrilled to get to talk about. I just want to talk about this movie all the time. And not that many people have seen it. Yeah. yeah. It, it surprisingly did. I mean, one of the things that Anno said um, relatively recently is he said, his movies are made for Japanese people in Japanese. They're not made for, you know, foreign audiences. And I don't think that that's a dirty word or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know we have a lot of specific targeted audiences throughout media and throughout art. And I think that it's completely valid to say so. That's not to say like, you know, oh, it shouldn't be shown abroad or anything like that. I don't think he, even he would think that. I no mean, way. Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime has uh, taken the fourth Evangelion movie and put, I have never seen as many subtitles on a Prime listing. <laughs> um, I saw like Turkish and just like really off the wall um, subtitles and, and dubs on that. Well, the thing is, is that like, you know, in the kind of the globalist, like liberal mindset, it's like you want to create something that appeals to absolutely everyone. Mm. And that's never how good art is made. No, Ever. I mean, everything nowadays out of Disney has to go through the China the, sensor. The China, exactly. That's precisely what I was thinking about. It's like people have to process all their blockbusters through like rigorous sensors that make sure that they're okay for Russian and Chinese audiences yeah. and everything else. And, you know, that is, you know, not okay for the spirit of the artist which is to merely put all of your perversion and all of your bizarre like fanboy did you just see me spit on my mic no i just just, like lobbed a fatty (laughs) on there no i I have the the filter is kind of censoring you a little bit in any case it's not about (laughs) it's not about like you know having to go through some like bureaucratic red tape in order Mm. to get your movie made it's about like putting your fanboy energy and your perversions and all of your obsessions and yourself into an honest product and that is exactly what this movie is along with everything else he's ever done yeah and i think that ano is such 
a fantastic director because he is able to so purely and beautifully translate his like weird obsession with like tokusatsu mm-hmm. like the um giant monster movies that godzilla comes from as well he, he's so capable of putting all of that dirt and all of that like kind of like embarrassing like yeah. you know nerdy stuff into his own voice like mm-hmm. so purely that it doesn't matter if you relate or understand his references because it's so clearly an emotional mm-hmm. gesture from his heart and I, I watched um, his Sayonara Evangelion, or Sayonara Subite no Evangelion, which mm-hmm. is the um, NHK-produced documentary yes. that um, I think Amazon Prime has. And um, I, it was very interesting to watch his process because he is a very chaotic director. Oh, yeah. And um, just the number of times... The, the main theme that he seemed to stick to was... Um, um, he doesn't want it to be... Fzu. He doesn't want it to be normal. Right. He doesn't want anything to be um par for the course and i also um because this um you know shin Godzilla is partially in a response to the government's handling of um fukushima um part of i, I watched fukushima 50 as well oh um, yeah train wreck of a horrible piece of shit it looks movie. like just completely Complete terrible garbage <laughs> like you know ken watanabe did his best but you know god help him he was working with some real characters um just everything from the script everything was just trash about that mm-hmm. um and what was really interesting to watch was basically like everything about that movie was fzu, and everything about shin gojira everything about evangelion 4 it, it's just night and day well it's funny too because honestly his kind of point of view towards direction is almost extremely realistic which might sound bizarre to someone who's only seen eva but i mean He's approaching, you know, Mecca and shonen anime from, like, the point of view of realism. And, for instance, like, something that, you know, comes up in Shin Godzilla is the Evangelion episode where they confront Ramiel, the pyramid angel, Mm. and they have to coordinate all of, like, several, like, not not just Japan, but, like, several, like, located, like, China and Korea. They have to, like, do bureaucratic work in order to allocate enough, like, energy channel to shoot the gun. Mm -hmm. So, even when he's, like, being fantastical, like, in, you know, Evangelion, it's, like, Mm -hmm. he's always, like, really based in realism yeah and you see that in the shots of this and love and pop and evangelion where it's like the camera is from the point of view of a phone being picked up Mm -hmm. or from a door opening or it's like trained to like some desk that's moving so it's like it's funny that he's like i don't want to be normal i don't want to be futsu because Mm -hmm. all he does is like train the eye to something extremely normal yeah and then he confronts it with something like really upsetting and you know yeah so absurd that it becomes true yeah which is exactly yeah. where this movie is so absurd it becomes true. It is very absurd. I mean, from the first instances that you see the monster, it vomiting its weird blood out of its gills. and Yeah, so let's yeah. talk about it, right? <laughs> let's really get into yeah. it. So Shin Godzilla is a remake, mm-hmm. technically, or maybe a reboot, whatever you want to yeah, call it's it. It's a reboot. But it's, yeah. it's a reboot. Um Godzilla is a franchise that has existed since 1954, about, what, nine years after the mm-hmm. World War II ended? Yeah. So, Godzilla came out and was, like, very widely known and is, like, still understood to be, like, a parable about, like, nuclear violence. Yeah. Um, Godzilla then was immediately, like, warped by pop culture. Yeah. And became a, uh, like, sort of, like, fighter hero. Like, he fought the other monsters and, like, saved humanity. 
Destroy Tokyo, but save the world. You know? Exactly. <laughs> he, one time he destroyed Tokyo, but the rest of the time he, like, fought Mothra off or whatever. Okay. And then um, Americans know him through um, his several appearances in American pop culture, which is... Um, <sighs> All bad. All bad. Not one good one. <laughs> There's the um, original, um, <clears throat> like, redubbing of Godzilla, which, like, in, like forces, like, an American journalist into just, like, some corny redubbing. And uh, then there's the 1990-whatever, 1999? Uh, it is 90... Yeah, something around there. But I, I would say that that Zilla. movie... That movie is pure camp. It, it's so bad that it's, it doesn't count. It, yeah. It, it, just, it just is... What it is. Who, who in their right mind thought that Matthew Broderick would be a good, like... Like, disaster movie. Yeah, hero, and then, like, yeah. the French come in and save the day. Well, actually, that does happen in... This uh, happens in this movie, too. <laughs> um, so, oh, God, we've been bad-mouthing the French too much. Um, no, I, I, I think... Oh, and then there's the Gareth Edwards reboot and the ensuing monster franchise. Is that the most recent one? That's the, There's... Three. So yeah. Gareth Edwards did the first one. Then there's Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and then there's Godzilla versus Kong. I've seen the first two. Um, I have two. Yeah. The general thoughts. First one, fine, fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's like I I like that they don't show him for most of the movie, and like yeah. they have a big sense of scope. Gareth Edwards seems to be competent. From there, that next movie is unbearable. <sighs> that next movie. It's um, so because I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to because. In Godzilla, I actually um, in the animated series, I watched that fairly regularly as a kid. Uh huh. And there was kind of this like psychic connection between um, one of the research, one of the main like humans in the thing, and then Godzilla. So Godzilla right. would kind of pop up whenever they wanted, and that kind of almost happens in a way where like not necessarily like psychic powers between characters, but like this kind of like humanity needs Godzilla, or there's a yeah. imbalance in the world, and so you know the monsters have to kind of rebalance that out um which does not make a lot of sense to what we are seeing in shin godzilla that oh i mean it's completely opposed yeah Yeah. well maybe not entirely i don't know We'll, we'll get there but it's like um, I feel like the way that culture has viewed Godzilla, mm. especially like, you know, both of us are Americans yes. at the end of the day, yes. no matter what we want. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, we kind of know Godzilla from our pre-recognition as like somebody who's like a, a monster fighter and like mm-hmm. someone like psychologically can connect with him. That's a big theme in the Japanese movies too. Yes. Um, yeah. in the, the Showa era movies that they did with him and that happens all the time. Like little boy, like fourth graders who are bullied by people. Like they connect to Godzilla and they're the ones who can save the day. <laughs> this is like not unfamiliar and it's like a common impulse because I feel it's like they're giving people the idea that you can connect with the end of the world. Like mm. you can like channel into that and like you can find a way to solve it. That's the optimist idea. Mm-hmm. Shin Godzilla refuses that. No. And and that's what makes it such a fantastic piece of perfect. Media. Exactly yeah. perfect. So um this movie begins with Godzilla coming ashore. And um Well not quite. It, so we see a bubbling up of the sea in Tokyo Bay, and uh, nobody really knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah, and... so the, the, the whole first segment of the movie is, like, this, like, gigantic, enormous, like, hilarious, like, political romp. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this, like, big water fountain has started in Tokyo. Oh my god, crazy! And it's like, 
all of the politicians can't like figure out a way to react to it. They have but to switch one meeting of rooms. Them does. Well, one of them does. One of them does. And they spend the first like, maybe twenty five minutes of the movie like switching between meeting rooms, like deciding which committee is like supposed to address this. It's like a very like red tape oriented, yeah. kind of like um strange love yeah. sort of like political approach in order to actually do any kind of action they have to have literally a five minute meeting in order to have the meeting which you see all of in this movie and um one of the most prominent aesthetic features of this movie is that it includes if you're watching a good version of it because a lot of these do not include this in western releases is that oh yeah the japanese on top yeah, yeah because they put these heinous subtitles on the movies in japanese that say the meeting like the exact yeah. location the meeting room like what floor mm-hmm. and then when people are speaking for the first time it introduces their name and their whole title mm-hmm. so for especially like the first like 45 minutes of the movie it is introducing countless people to you countless locations over and over again as to be such a it's heinous yeah. <laughs> no it's amazing right it's yeah, so yeah. like no movie can like tuck you in like especially if you can find a version of it that includes that and with english subtitles um which is hilarious because it puts the title at the top of whoever is speaking and then it will have them talking on top of the japanese yeah so you gotta pause so much all text time, on yeah. screen yeah but i mean it's perfectly true yes it's really the only way to watch it right because that's i mean I think it's even more true than the Japanese people just like seeing and reading it is because like having to confront the text on top and bottom of the screen and having to like eat that up. Mm. It's like you really feel like how many like stupid retarded layers there are to like this one person's role and what he has to say about what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I don't even I, I, I had thought about trying to look up who everyone was and what all they do and that kind of stuff. I just gave up. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter no, that much. You're so right. Yeah. Because, I mean, the point is that you're being, like, slapped in the face by the text, but mm-hmm. that's ultimately not important to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because Godzilla comes ashore. Mm. And, well, before that happens, the Prime Minister goes on TV and says, <laughs> oh, yeah. Godzilla cannot come ashore. <laughs> He cannot possibly come to shore. His legs can't support his weight because they've been like um, consulting like these various uh, like, zoologists yeah. and marine biologists. And then he comes to shore. Yeah. And um, this is maybe my favorite moment in the whole movie. I, I know that some other sequences are more popular, yeah. but I love nothing more than seeing the second form Godzilla after his like tail form or whatever when we see in the water when he comes mm. onto the land. Yeah. And it's the googly-eyed monster. Yeah. Now, something about this movie is that everybody seems to have, like, some kind of, like, jokey take about, like, how, like, funny and cute it is. I did not find it cute. I have never found it cute. I saw this movie in the theater um, with English subtitles when it first came out. I watched it again last night on my laptop. Every time I watch it, I am completely disturbed by this thing. It is, I think it is purposefully done in a way that is attributing kind of to the camp aspect of the earlier films, but also to basically be like the, the during that sequence, it um, Godzilla topples this giant building where this family is trying to um, get ready and get out. And it's just, you, you realize this, this googly eyed creepy thing is, is there. And you know, you know, it's Godzilla, you know, you're in a Godzilla movie, right? But these people don't know that. Nobody in Tokyo knows what's going on. They don't on. know what a Godzilla is. And this thing just yeah. top of this building killed this family and this thing. It's it's 
terrifying. You literally see a family of three people. It, it, it's extremely Titanic, right? Like when people are like jumping off yeah. the edge and like hitting the propeller or something. People laugh at that too. It's not funny. It's not funny. If that doesn't like touch your heart a little bit, like something is wrong with you yeah. in my opinion. So it's like you see like this family of three, specifically like a dad, mm-hmm. the mother, mm-hmm. and the kid. And they're like, we have to hurry. We have to get out of here. Something is, you know, coming. Like, mm-hmm. we're getting our clothes on. Mm-hmm. It cuts to him jumping on top of the building and then their brutal death. Yeah. And it's like, I just can't understand how people, like, watch this and like, oh, it's so cute. Like, it's so funny. Like, how could anyone find this scary? Not to mention the fact that, like, blood is, like, sloshing out of its gills the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, the design of this first Godzilla form is so genius to me. Like, these huge plastic googly eyes and it's, like, big smiling mouth as as it just, like, storms and topples with, like, no sense to anything. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a lot of things. (laughs) Let's just say that. (laughs) It's very much a, a contrast of, you know, what's actually happening in real life and then what's actually happening in the meeting rooms. The, the very deliberate um you know boring meeting rooms and and no tvs anywhere no other media it's all papers being handed back and forth meanwhile the only young you know guy in the cabinet that you know actually knows what the fuck's going on has been on twitter and niko niko doga trying to find (laughs) all of these trying to figure out what the fuck is actually going on and he's the only one that has a sense of the catastrophe that's actually unfolding out there meanwhile everyone is just kind of going through these motions through the meetings trying to you know get the power to do anything well like this is the first time that godzilla comes ashore and it's like only that one character is like looking at like the social media or anything but the whole time that's happening like we're seeing like thousands of like boats and like rubble Mm. being like thrown onto the shore and something i really love about this movie is it's like really uncanny mix of special effects and practical shots because it shows like all of like the residentials and stuff of tokyo like super clearly but like godzilla's appearance is always like extremely cgi yeah this movie's made for 15 million dollars that was the budget holy it's nothing right it's nothing at all that that wow so it's easy to like kind of like be like oh like it's cheap but the cheapness of it it's not that cheap (laughs) in in terms of the quality that we got well i mean i think i think it does look like quite good honestly but it's like even like the cheapness of it, it like makes this like kind of like outdated appearance, right? A little bit. And when you see yeah, it, I find that purposeful. Yeah, I find it very purposeful because when you see like kind of something like creepy and like mm-hmm. kind of funny and like kind of like awkward, like actually like slaughtering people, it seems extremely true. Yeah, like it cuts away from um one of his shots where like you just like see like some old man's like shoes and like his like pants like in the rubble mm-hmm. and they're like oh my god it's the same shot with the family getting like crumpled up in the apartment yeah and it's just like this big googly eyed like plush toy that's like trampling everything there was another shot during that sequence of um you know Godzilla's coming ashore and there's there's debris kind of coming up and there's a man actually running away yeah. from the debris coming up and i was just like oh 311 that's you know the tsunami you know it just pinged those images of of actually watching people fleeing from the tsunami so vividly that you know here's what's actually going on what the fuck is the government going to do about it yeah because what this and titanic do for me at the same time is like they take like some 
immeasurable human disaster. And they keep showing it from, like, really slight, specific human angles. Mm -hmm. And especially in this first sequence with the, you know, googly-eyed, terrifying, like, you know, plastic Godzilla in the Mm -hmm. very first, is that, like, it keeps, like, showing people who are just, like, doing something normal and having it, like, disrupted. Like, that guy running away. Mm -hmm. Of course, like, he's not, like, running away because he's, like, late or, like, wasn't, like, being, like, you know, liberal enough to follow, like, direction news. It's just, like, this is what happens to people when there's no time. Yeah. Exactly. Or there's people in the apartment. Yeah. And the whole time, as Godzilla just fucking walks through this as, like, this, like, bizarre lizard creature, um, you kind of, like, feel, like, a little empathy towards the Godzilla creature as well, right? Yeah, it's it didn't want to be there. <laughs> no, it, it has no idea what's going does on. It. And that's part of the thing. The googly eyes, like, really set me off. Because it's, like, it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this, like, thing that is, like, washed up on shore doesn't want to be doing any of this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, like, want to be, like, killing people. It doesn't know what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, fucking moving around. It's a creature. Yeah. And so when you see it trying to, like, stand up on the apartment building, you're kind of sad for it as well. Yeah. yeah. It's so genius. This is why Anno is, like, the only director who could have ever made a Godzilla movie in, like, this contemporary moment is because, like, when he does, like, the angels in Evangelion, mm. they're all kind of sad in their own way, too. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just trying to find, you know, the... the Well, uh, the angels a little bit more contextual because they're... the Oh, God. I'm not going into that. <laughs> no, 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 but you're right. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. they're very, like, based on a plot, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, well, and you don't even get the plot from actually... No, from actually doing it, you have to like read the manga and and play the video games and all that kind of yeah. crap to figure it out. You have but, to read Ava Geeks. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not going that far in. But um, and then we kind of get to you know this point where the government finally has choppers in the air, and you know Godzilla is stopped in front of Shinagawa Station, which is one of the biggest uh, you know stations in Tokyo. And it's just standing there. Yeah. And it's just waiting to be attacked. But oh my god, there's, you know, a little OG channel Bachan that are in the yeah. way and we can't do anything. And it's this kind of interesting theme that's paralleled later in the movie where the government is not willing to potentially encounter casualties in order to potentially save far more people. They're more concerned about what's actually going on in the now and the fact that they've been fucking it up until then. They don't want to, like, extra fuck it up, necessarily. And there's right. this kind of contrast where you understand that the Prime Minister is very... He's just a Prime Minister. He's not a military guy. He doesn't understand these kinds of things. And when push comes to shove, he backs down at the one moment where maybe he could have saved millions of people. Well, it's funny because, like, um, in that exact moment, too, you know, you kind of really see, like, the precise dynamics of Japanese culture working Mm -hmm. where you see like the prime minister speaking like in like casual Japanese to everyone the whole time. Mm -hmm. And this stood out to me, especially like last night when I was watching it where everyone speaks to him in ultra Kago, like 5 billion percent formal Japanese. And he just is like, none does like them the whole time. And that moment in particular where he's like, we can't do it. It's like, you really see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, you know, you you kind of see it as like he shouldn't he he should have killed Godzilla right then and you know you know yeah. slaughtered those two people by accident. I don't know how I feel about it. I think that it's a it's difficult decision making. I think that you know I was raised in a military family and so I I get more of a you know a, a more altruistic view that you know you you pull the train levy you, you pull you pull the train car to kill one person instead of three. Uh-huh. That's kind of 
what I understand in terms of like military logics and that kind of thing. So you to have like, you know, this politician basically making these kinds of decisions, you know, that, you know, they have to get his okay. I get that. But yeah. at the same time, if this was in America, they'd be fucking, <laughs> yeah, be nuking the thing almost. <laughs> they'd have their finger this on is, the trigger. This is later a theme of the movie yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. But I think, it is so beautiful and challenging that the, this is a fucking blockbuster movie in Japan. Mm. One of the big... After Kimi no Nawa, Your Name, which yeah. was an internationally a smash hit, this is the second biggest uh, grossing movie of that year. And it won the Best Picture for, you know, As the Japanese yeah. Academy Awards. Which, to me, it's like any movie that, that kind of poses a moral quandary where you both like kind of have a different like sort of feeling about it mm-hmm. amazing yeah you know like i can't think of any american movie at all that has ventured any of these kinds of things about like government intervention or anything and um that's why i think this movie is especially powerful as well is because mm-hmm. like it, that this didn't just happen in america where like mm-hmm. that could potentially you know work out someone no. could you know parasite you know Honestly, in my opinion, as a vestige of, like, diversity politics, one best picture. But that movie has a lot of, like, cutting critiques of, like, American capitalism or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, that is, like, a very, very... It, it works more out with the American mentality, where they can kind of, like, you know, accept some subversion. Yeah, yeah I agree. This country does not accept subversion. No. No. And, um, I think that it enters another interesting aspect of, um... Sorry, give me one second. I have a note for this. She has a note for this. I have notes. So, let's set the geopolitical stage for a second here. Right. Japan might be the third largest economy in the world, but it is only that by the grace of the United States. If Japan was not pseudo, you know, uh, occupied by, you know, American... Uh, forces even not to even stupid, but like literally literally well what's really interesting is that a few years ago they actually switched where america used to pay japan to be there now japan pays america to be here right because there's china knocking on our door you know not just with viruses um <laughs> geopolitically like you know back before it when the war um you know, when the war ended you know japan was basically put in a position to thrive because it was war-torn whatever and it had this really great in and this is partly because you know the fuck up with world war one no and, but mishima talks about stuff. this all the time he yeah, yeah especially like in the sea fertility technology mm-hmm. like he like completely recognizes that it's like Japan didn't, like, become great on its own after the war and like no. some spirit of resilience it's like this like very castrated like womanly state of tragedy wherein like they are indebted to a suitor yeah and that's why he also kind of had like that extremely nationalist point of view of yeah. like killing himself for the country and for the spirit of the country mm-hmm. is because of exactly yeah. what we're talking about and so japan is not a f- necessarily a free agent in and of itself it no. is very much tied to this assumption that america will step in at a certain point and in shingojira america does heavily interfere and whether or not it was America that actually destroyed Tokyo because they <laughs> provoked Godzilla um, halfway through the movie um, is an interesting question. Yeah. Um, before we get to that question, I want another cigarette. And okay. I have to open another beer, so let's do that. <laughs> do you have to pee as well? Or like, I do, yeah. Perfect. See, my mind knows these things.
So, <laughs> we, I have smoked, you have peed, I have peed, I have another beer. <laughs> Sorry, I know you literally just said on uh, <laughs> one of these recordings <laughs> that you can notice when people are drunk on an episode, but I'm drunk on this episode. Three beers is not going to be that Um, You're missing the double high highball I had earlier and the 9% lemon sour. Yeah, that's basically pre-gaming right there. (laughs) (laughs) We're good. It's fine. We're good. (laughs) But we have gotten through the first section of this movie and usually I don't like to go through movies like point by point like do the plot but I think this movie honestly like benefits from doing it that way. It's very important I think. Yeah. Um, So we basically find you know the climax of the movie comes well, there's basically kind of two climaxes. One of them it climaxes where basically Japan has completely failed to stop Godzilla. Godzilla reemerges and just plows its way from Sagami Harabe all the way up to Tokyo. Yeah. And um, it's coming into the city. The government has no idea what to do. They've tried everything that they can. Yeah, so let's talk about it a little bit. So this sequence, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've discussed kind of the structure of this movie already, but a lot of it is like done completely in like these like formal government rooms where like yeah. the procedure is being like a to a t yeah. acknowledged like everyone is performing correctly like there are moments when people don't know who's being acknowledged in a conversation they don't know what room they're supposed to be like having these conversations and the political satire is like is very heavy and obvious from all the things we've said so far mm-hmm. and so when godzilla comes ashore the second time after you know we haven't mentioned like the rogue squadron of uh politicians Mm. Um, which is kind of the thrust of the movie. Yeah. Is that there are these people who turn against the grain. The Yagu- the Yaguchi uh, plan. That's right. That's the the Yaguchi plan. So mm. they are the ones who are kind of like turning against like the general government and like mm. doing, you know, their independent research and like working against like the mainframe of the government. And this movie has a really heavy nationalist message, I think. Yes. Which is that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is that Japan can solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing about that message is that it can't that nationalism can't be achieved without people who go against the rest of the country. And it can't be achieved alone is another thing because yeah. at the end of the well we, we get there but like essentially at the end of the movie it's only because of international cooperation. Right. Well, I mean it's it's because of that and it's because of exactly what you're saying, the togetherness of people, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly the same thing of Evangelion. You cannot get through life alone. You can't live without having to suffer pain and hardship from other people. And so this movie is positing that exact same theme, but on a much larger scale mm-hmm. of really horrifying violence yeah. against the masses. Yeah. Which is the title track of the um, opening theme, Persecution of the Masses. And to see the violence and the horror that happens to them, and then for the movie to kind of, like, reach, like, nationalist point, it's really fascinating to me that to to become a nationalist movie, it has to go through an anti-nationalism first, which is Mm -hmm. through the, the, what's his name again? Yaguchi? Yaguchi. The Yaguchi Committee or whatever. Which is all people who are outcasts from Japanese Mm -hmm. government. Well, and let's talk about how... When I first saw the, you know, we we also, you know, Tokyo's Destruction Comedy, and it's a fucking Godzilla movie, but I was terrified. Oh, by the extent of the destruction 
of Tokyo. And nothing has ever been done better in a destruction movie. Because, you know, Titanic Absolutely gets it easy. Not. because they That's get a ship. That's yeah, one it's ship. a ship. <laughs> it's a one ship in a black ocean. Yeah. This is an entire city, the biggest metropolitan... The biggest metropolitan area on earth okay and this movie lets you have it every way and it's not just through like you know violent scenes of you know slaughtering people honestly there's one of those which is the apartment sequence that we already mentioned Mm -hmm. everything else is done by scale because they shoot shots of godzilla from local shrines or like from like Mm. you know rural streets next to the train tracks Mm -hmm. you see godzilla in a way that is extremely like edifying and very human and personal so when you have to see something that big causing so much destruction even in like the way that like the tiles shake on top of the you know Mm -hmm. traditional houses it's like this movie sees Godzilla for the real horror, which is like the extremely like minute personal destruction. Yeah. And no other disaster movie has ever done anything like that before. It is truly just when he opens his mouth and you like you know what's coming, but before, you know, the laser beams and all that kind of stuff and shooting down planes and all that, mm-hmm. what really scared me was when he started vomiting fire into the street because oh, it me went too for Miles. Miles. My apartment. Gone. Everything gone. Everything. My just, workplace. I know. Everything is just completely destroyed. Which is why I really understand why this movie won Best Picture in Japan. Is because, like, it is such a Japanese movie in the way that it, it resonates with place, yeah. you know? And everyone has images of New York and stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't think there's ever been a disaster movie ever made before this that has such an intimate idea of yeah. what it means to inhabit. A location. I think that almost the um, the '90s Godzilla movie did a kind of a good job because it mm-hmm. went to specific locations around New York that all everybody, if you've been to New York, you know these kinds of tiny locations. But in the the newest or in the first of the new Godzilla movies, um, when it kind of destroys San Francisco, it's, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. It's yeah, ra- it, it's it's it's, it's, it's larger... not. He's not destroying San Francisco. He's destroying he's not the destroying image of it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Stop it, Godzilla out, bitch. <laughs> but no, like for real, it's like you would never see in any like American Godzilla movie except for kind of like that the 90s yeah. one you don't see him destroying certain localities and this movie is so like firmly rooted in 2016 when it was made that like mm-hmm. you completely understand like when he is standing somewhere mm-hmm. you know where that is it's kind of like I would almost um think of it as kind of like Cloverfield I think yeah, yeah, Cloverfield, yeah. Did Cloverfield really good. is good as well yeah, in that same you, way you saw like the same group of people kind of running around there were no cut well no cuts but like you you had that intimacy with that group of literally thrown into nothing, not asking to be there, no nothing like that. Yeah. You know, there's, this isn't a task force of people going to take on the Cloverfield monster. This is a bunch of twenty-somethings in New York that have no idea how the fuck to get out. Yeah, and I think that on a uh, you 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 take that intimacy and you blow it into a larger scale, and you have Shin Godzilla. Yeah, absolutely. That, that intimacy is like really the big poignant piece because when you see the because, um, you know, we, we've mentioned that a little bit, that Godzilla evolves through this movie. Like, mm-hmm. he starts with his tail form. Then when he finally comes to, to ground, it's in the, the googly-eyed form. Yeah. And then um, he retreats back into the ocean after, like, evolving a little. And when he comes back, he's, like, the Godzilla that we kind of, like, recognize in pop yeah. culture. But it's not just, like, in the, you know... If you think about the American Godzilla right now, like mm-hmm. the, the, you know, 2014 Gareth Edwards movie when mm-hmm. Very mobile, right? Yeah. Lots of, like... 
muscular movement, you know, yeah, it's, like al- being, it's almost like, you know, the person in the suit almost, uh, well, you know, it's, it's beyond that yeah. because a person in a, in a suit could never move like the Godzilla in these movies do now. Mm. What we see here is someone who is very much in the suit mm-hmm. because all this Godzilla can do is just walk forward, basically, especially after he reaches this form, yeah. um, that's in the middle point of the movie. Yeah. And it's, way more terrifying than seeing like a muscular like yeah. agile Godzilla like thrust around buildings yeah. and like you know perform acrobatics mm-hmm. it's just like this senseless onslaught of destruction yeah. and we get hints earlier in the movie about um Godzilla being um radioactive right but we don't really see the intensity of it until even after the the total destruction of to- not total destruction but most destruction of Tokyo yeah. um and what I think is metaphoric in that sense of, you know, Godzilla just literally just beelining it for Tokyo, um, Tokyo Eki, Tokyo Station, um, is partially that when Fukushima was going fucking nuts, they weren't sure if Tokyo was going to be livable or not. Yeah. That was a real fear in the first few weeks of, the first few days, really, of what was going on. I remember um, talking to folks that were here. There were there was just so much sensationalization at the same time. You know, the possibility was there of right. an irradiated needing to be completely abandoned Tokyo. That obviously didn't happen, um, and the the containment zone is large, but it's contained in a rural area. What we see instead with Godzilla is here is this irradiated creature that is going into the middle of the city not only destroying it but basically making it uninhabitable mm-hmm. and you know we learn way way later and at the very, very end of the it, film that isotope is smaller it, very it's smaller in a couple whatever, of months yeah. it'll be totally fine yeah. blah, blah. but when you don't quite understand yeah. that up until that point it's it's especially horrific yeah. and um i i remember a friend who lived in mie completely unaffected by fukushima and everything mm-hmm. but she talked to me about you know wandering around through her life the next day after it happened mm-hmm. and just like feeling like she could die at any moment because something like that could happen anywhere at any time yeah. there's no rule against earth that could stop something like that happening to you mm-hmm. and a lot of the kind of like fantastical elements of destruction movies is like oh that'll never be me I'll never be on the Titanic it's never gonna be the 2012 movie it's never gonna be mm-hmm. Armageddon Day yeah. but with something like this movie mm-hmm you don't really have a choice because it interrupts, like, the subtlety and, like, normalcy of everyday life so severely that, like, especially after the first, like, invasion and they play, like, the jazz music um, (laughs) and everyone, people are, like, out jogging and, like, oh, hi, like, the, the, like, high school girls meeting each other. That's exactly what would happen. Like, the normalcy of this is really what makes it the Mm -hmm. most frightening. And so when this evolved form of Godzilla comes who is like way more recognizable as a Godzilla that we know he comes and no one can stop him there's a prolonged sequence of the military trying to keep him off doesn't work he gets into Tokyo Station basically and then it happens yeah this is probably the the moment people most talk about in this movie and so basically um America intervenes they um throw these penetrating missiles into Godzilla's back and um, explode inside of Godzilla. And what then happens is Godzilla is not happy and decides to fuck up everything. Yeah, he... It's um, 
a riff on the atomic breath, which has been a, a common feature yes. of him in this whole movie. And uh, not sorry, this whole movie, the whole franchise, yeah. right? And it hasn't occurred up until this point in this movie. Mm. So people kind of, when they imagine the atomic breath, it, yeah. it's like the smoke coming out or like the fire. Yeah. They, they see it as that. A very localized. It does not come out this way in this movie. It comes out as a purple laser beam. Yeah, it starts as the fire that destroys probably more of the city than that fucking purple beam did. Right. And then evolves into, or, you know, turns pointed, I guess. It concentrates. It concentrates. Concentrates. Yeah. But no, it's... Um, when I saw this in the theater with my friend, I was horrified sitting in my seat because to, I don't know what it is specifically about this scene. It might be the score by like Sagi Sushiro, who also does the Evangelion score. Very and a intense. lot of the Evangelion music is used in this Yeah, movie. that was a, <laughs> when I was sitting in the theater, I like turned to my friend like, is that, is that from, is that from Evangelion? It is. Like, yeah. And well, it, it's because huh. this movie is like literally just a riff on the Romeo episode. It's like, a, it's a two hour version <laughs> yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Romeo, really it's Godzilla. Yeah. But beside that, when you really see like something so inhuman as mm. that purple laser beam uh, affecting not only just like random people who are like trying to evacuate out of the city, but it kills half the cast yeah. in this scene. It, yeah. And that isn't even the horrifying point. There is just such well, a layer of destruction yeah. and human death in mm. this moment where um, his breath turns into this concentrated purple laser beam as it cuts buildings apart. You really see life ending in this yeah. moment. And the cabinet dying, you're almost kind of rooting for because at this point in the movie, <laughs> you're, you're basically set up that, you know... I kind of have, yeah, like, just, a, I have like a cute affinity for the prime minister. I think he's trying his best. He, yeah, he he is. He's trying his best, and but at, at a certain point, you're kind of like, oh, I'm sick of these fucking old bastards. Like, get get rid of them. I want to see more Yaguchi, you know, storming through and you know right. actually <laughs> making shit happen. Um, when 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 they kind of explode, it is very much a like, what the fuck's gonna happen now? Because we've been setting up all of these rules and stuff like that. Are we just gonna throw them all out the window? Is America gonna come in and save the day? Like, you know, what what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, and then once everything kind of calmed down a little bit, we then learned that now Japan is under the scrutiny of the UN, and there is a time limit to fix the Godzilla problem. Yeah, so what basically happens to the rest of the movie is that they have been, for the whole plot of the film, like, kind of, like, plotting a way to stop Godzilla, and they do it through a really, like, kind of hilariously practical means of yeah. cranes. Um, and so... That they had already set up in the first half of the movie. They yeah. were already trying to figure out how to make this work. Yeah, basically from, like, minute, like, 45 of this movie, they're, like, trying to make it mm-hmm. happen in this way. So you can kind of see, like, the long-haul struggle of people trying to get things to work. Um... We haven't even mentioned, like, Kyoko in this movie. Who, um, one of my favorite qualities of this is that they have a lot of Japanese people, like, pretending to be, like, fluent English speakers. She, she really tried. She did oh, her Oh, they all best. tried. They yeah. all tried. All of the Japanese people trying to speak English in this, it's very cute to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it honestly makes the movie better, in my opinion. I, it's, yeah. it's so bad that it's, it's, it would be infinitely worse that they yeah. spoke like really nicely like spoken like professional actor American English yeah but then here we have like Kyoko like being yeah. like okay yeah and then like she does like Japanese like I'm like, sorry I came straight from the base and I could not get any new clothes huh? <laughs> Zara wa doko uh, Zara wa doko <laughs> my favorite line in the whole movie 
I could not believe because I feel her as me. I feel her. Where is Zara? Where is Zara? And um, I mean, she she really did. She did everything she could, and you know, and and the stuff. I mean, she was really heavily heavily criticized and all that stuff. I come on. Oh she my god! Did fuck everything off. Everything that you, she could. Uh, how many? Yeah. I I've never heard one person well, criticizing Lucy Liu's like oh Japanese and Kill Bill. I do. <laughs> It's the worst thing it's I've ever heard. Fucking worst Japanese. I, I Why just, did they get oh, a no. Chinese actress to play a half Japanese woman? I kind of love it for the camp of it. <laughs> like I do love, and I showed it to my boyfriend, and uh, the entire time he's like, "It, nante, nante." He did not know what they were saying the whole movie, and I think that's good. Have you seen uh, Tokyo Drift recently? I've never seen it. Oh. That one, because I saw it in high school before I, like, knew anything about Japan, and then I watched <laughs> it a couple years ago after living here, and I was like, yeah, Shinjuku isn't that close to Shibuya, um, like, that person has no idea how to speak Japanese, shut them up, why is this actress Chinese? But no, I, I honestly love it, I love broad cultural strokes, I think it's way better than someone who knows everything about it, like, um, you know, I have depicted it's, Japan yeah. in my writing and stuff, and I, I think I do a good job, personally, for my ego, but it's like... Um, broader strokes make for more, like, okay, look, there's the, look at my wall. There is, there's the YMO album right now. They're doing an impression of what the West thinks of Japanese, and it's way more interesting than what any, like, you know, practically knowledgeable person from the West knows about Japanese. It's way more interesting. So I love when Ano does, like, here are people who are American. (laughs) This is their culture. Because it's a big, broad stroke, so it's infinitely truer. And it's, he, and, well, I would honestly say he did a damn good job of setting up her character. Oh, no, she's a really well-motivated she's, character. Yeah, I know. I, the, the way that she's crafted as, like, the, you know, the By the way, daughter. I don't know if we've mentioned... Yeah, she's the senator's yeah, daughter. She's, daughter. she's, she's the, a, what, representative to Japan or something like that. Some kind of military ambassador. She has, um ideas of becoming the president in the future which like girl you gotta study a little more like, so, <laughs> like you that was the thing which is like you know, oh you want to be president can you imagine but like honestly like she would kind of slay as president <laughs> basically a president in ESL um I mean, honestly given our track record of presidents I'm all for it. I, I mean, I, I would take Kyoko over <laughs> oh, Biden yeah. any day. Oh, yeah. At least she has like a vision, like Put an mission, you yeah, know, like yeah. good for her. Ambition. Yeah. Um, but basically, we kind of are forced to... We're, we're put into a position where, you know, if this really did happen to Japan, which is literally sitting next to two, I would say, not friendly major powers of China and Russia that basically say, if you don't fucking get your shit together, we're coming in and taking that goddamn lizard. Yeah. Versus the U.S. and the West basically agreeing in the U.N. that we got to nuke Tokyo because... <laughs> This shit is going to destroy the world. Right. So the movie then kind of rests on the nationalist point that Japan yeah. is capable of solving Godzilla through. Yeah. But I, you know, I go back to it. The nationalism of this movie is based off of faux nationalism because, like, the, the faux nationalism <laughs> is that this wouldn't work unless it was like people going against a Japanese system. Yes. Because if it had just been left to the people from the front of the movie who all die in the helicopter... Thank God. This would... I hate them. I, just, I like them. I, I like I like the first prime minister. I find his reaction very endearing, which is making me feel like I definitely have adapted my boyfriend's sense. No, listen, yeah. I have adapted my boyfriend's sense of views a little bit because mm-hmm. he felt sad when Abe resigned. 
when, when Shinzo Abe resigned, my boyfriend was like sad because he was like, oh, he like really got data. Like he really did his best like the whole yeah. time. And I was like, I was like, oh, he, you're you're right actually. <laughs> yeah, I think he did do his best, and the, it's like yeah. it, it, it's sad because if you want to be like a political person, mm-hmm. then obviously Abe is like awful. He didn't do one good thing his entire time, but like he did probably do his best. And this is yeah. this is the whole thing about trying to address politics with anything is that it's like it's not human and it's not emotion to deal with politics as they have been situated. You yeah. can't understand Abe and his wife and his entire existence mm-hmm. from the point of view of politics. It's 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 yeah. a living thing because I think he probably did live a beautiful life and really tried his best the whole time. I do think so. From. I- when you are a politician, you go are going into these things. Another interesting point in the movie is Yaguchi says um, he he's asked point blank, "Why did you go into politics?" And he said, "Because it's simple." Foes and enemies is what he says exactly. And when that kind of came up, I was like, "That is the ultimate contrast." Because what he does is the furthest thing from simple. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, this prime minister who is who is a you know a puppet essentially, just kind of you know going through these strokes. He, yeah, I can see the endurance. The endurance. No, no but you're so right about this because it's like yeah. he understands that politics is about you know anti mm-hmm. and with. It's yeah. like it. He understands that philosophy, but the rest of the, pol- the politicians don't understand it because they're constantly trying to play for with or anti with mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. He knows clearly, so he goes through that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a third layer on top of this nationalism, yeah. where it goes from nationalism to anti-nationalism. Mm-hmm. It's like. Kind of, yeah. Because he's getting his information from the people. He he's looking at Twitter. He's looking at you know at the time Nikonikodoga before this was way before YouTube was big um, in Japan, and he he's he's grassroots. He is a grassroots politician at the end of the day. As much as he doesn't want to think, he that a he is. communist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's not do that. Well, anyways, uh, that's, that's another discussion. Um, but like in real life, unfortunately these decisions about who becomes politician or who becomes prime minister and all this kind of stuff is nothing but just sucking dick basically politically right. no i mean so, that, that's the reality w- yeah which is what we're seeing is so fantasy yeah because okay before we get into why there's a kind of a lie in this movie let's talk about the last shot of the film okay so at the end of the movie they are basically able to vanquish godzilla yeah. by Using a coagulant. Pumping him full. Yeah, pump him full. Like, wait, is In co- the mouth. Did I even say coagulant, right? Quad- coagulant. Coagulant. Yeah, blood coagulant. That. Coagulant. So yeah, they do that. He, they freeze him, and there's a giant monument of the frozen Godzilla. And they the last yeah. shot of the movie before it cuts the original Godzilla theme, mm-hmm. which, by the way, all the music in this is genius. Yeah. Like, all of the implementation of the original score is completely perfectly timed. Um, and before they cut to the original theme of Godzilla, they show a shot of Godzilla's tail erupting into a mutation. As we've mentioned, mm-hmm. happens a lot in this movie yeah. into multiple yeah. human-esque forms. Yeah, he it reproduces asexually. Um, and so this was basically like the, oh, you caught it in time, maybe? Yeah, but I mean, it's turning into people. What do you think about that? Well, it wasn't necessarily people. It was, it was I mean, it's people ask. It is very people ask. It's I, I would I when I when I saw it the first time, I was kind of like, "What the fuck am I looking at?" Um, and the as I've seen it multiple times, I almost kind of go back to the um, to the '90s Godzilla because it really reminded me of you know Godzilla lays the eggs and they have to blow up the eggs and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I mean, I don't really 
know what that last shot was trying to say. I, I think, think I that, have an idea. Please, please. Because yeah. originally, when I first saw it, right, I was like, oh, like, this is an empowering message. Mm-hmm. Godzilla is turning into human people because they were able to defeat him, and that is the strongest thing. And actually, I realized that through the existence of Godzilla in this movie, he's nothing but horror and terror, right? Mm-hmm. So, when he's turning into people, it's because that is the most terrifying thing. Mm. And that is exactly what I get from the last shot of the movie. Where I see it, yeah. It's just that the most horrifying thing that he could evolve into, the most destructive thing yeah. that could, is people. And it, yeah. I, I don't even think that it's like a, you know, morally negative message from the movie. Like, basically everything up until that point is like kind of like, give it, you know, empower. I, I, I really do think that that last shot is not trying to negate the rest, like the rest of the movie. I think it is trying to show like the entire thesis of the mm. movie, which is that people will defeat themselves. I, I definitely see that interpretation. Honestly, I haven't like thought too much into that, but I totally see what you're saying. Right. <laughs> the, I can definitely, I can also see because, you know, going back to the, um, Fukushima, um, illusions i would say in Mm -hmm. this movie it's not and this is why i watched fukushima 50 that terrible fucking thing about you know the 50 folks that you know stayed in the um fukushima area and reactor and were you know on the ground actually trying to fix everything um you know it was people that caused fukushima it was stupid fucking design of those reactors to put your fucking pump your, your fucking emergency pumps in the in the like line of a fucking tsunami yeah like, it's just so stupid but it was 50 people that say behind and fixed it and it was also people that got in the fucking way right. of like getting things done quickly one of the things that i was really interested in is i was trying to figure out okay is this prime minister in this movie based off of prime minister khan who was prime minister during the fukushima disaster who was heavily criticized for his handling of the um, disaster because he was very proactive. Mm. He was super. He went to Fukushima to see what was going on, and he was just very like trying to like. No, he get he was still with the LDP, right? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. He was. No, the, he was the one who wasn't. Yeah, he because wasn't. There it has was, been basically one in the last like forty years it who was, hasn't been with the Conservative Party. I so. think it was like one or two before him was when it went from LDP to Democrat, right? Whatever, and then and then Khan and then the next person was the final and then yeah. Abe took over after him and then we're never gonna get out of that yeah Probably but like not. yeah but um <laughs> I was trying to figure out like okay is this like is Khan like some kind of crazy incompetent person and I can't really figure it out because well, as much as you can yeah. criticize what Khan did mm-hmm. he was he was very proactive but he like you know got in the way what I gathered from that movie where he was just this, like, bullish, like, get this fucking shit done. Well, the problem was the people at the head of TEPCO, not the people on the ground at TEPCO. Like, TEPCO was just a fucking mess of bureaucratic bullshit. It was basically its own, you know, government in and of itself. Yeah. And they had... I, I found this document online that's on TEPCO's website. That basically, they were forced to put up there by the government, which just details the shit communication that they had between what was on the ground, what was going on. So when Prime Minister was Khan was kind of going in there trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, it's because nobody could tell him what the fuck was going on. Yeah. So, no, but I mean, that's Prime the whole theme of this movie. Yeah, and when this Prime Minister is, like, also trying to figure out what's going on and trying to do the right thing, I think that he's pulled back in a way. Because I also watched a post, 
interview like it was about like a year after Khan had left office he was actually interviewed by PBS for Frontline and he basically was like I did everything that I fucking could at the time in order to figure this out and I I do find that endearing about you know he was trying to be proactive was trying to you know in his view save Japan yeah and I kind of get the feeling that this prime minister in this movie doesn't really reflect that to me in, in in what you said about him being this kind of like endearing poor kawaii soul figure makes a little bit more sense well i just i it's just it's like i see him trying i mean he's a he's a human being put in a crisis right yeah he's being faced with the most bizarre existential threat that has ever happened to any country ever right yeah and he freaks out and i think you see like the human freak out of that and yeah. I, I i think that why one of this okay one of the other things I want to say about this movie being the best blockbuster that's been made since Titanic, right? Is that it really registers every human feeling about what's happening. Yeah. You can't watch this movie unless you're, like, weird, which is, you know, most people, yeah. honestly. Yeah. You can't watch this movie it's without being weird and, like, not see, like, the drastic destruction and complete trauma of, like, what's going on. Yeah. Like... Um, and it's it's registered like through the absurdity of the first form of Godzilla, like you see it in like all of like the really like close handheld shots, like in all of these like people's apartments and its shrines and its train stations yeah. and you know bus fucking stops. It's like you see all of it so clearly, you know. So it's like when you kind of like see every bit of that, and then you also see the prime minister's perspective, where like is he doing a good job? He's people too. No, he's not. He's fucking up like he he makes wrong choice after wrong choice several times in the movie Mm -hmm. but you can also see in his performance that he is trying you know i think it's a really beautiful performance for for doing that and so what we have to do now we've seen the movie we have seen japan approach disaster now both firsthand we didn't see fukushima we didn't see any of this we haven't seen any earthquake we've never seen any war Mm -hmm. we've only seen covid yeah and we got fucking failed. Yeah. We got the first cabinet of Shin Godzilla, but endlessly. And mm-hmm. there has been an administration change in the middle of this. Nothing changes. Yeah. So, Shin Godzilla has a really optimistic theme, which mm-hmm. is that there will always be people who will push against the mainstream and try to be transgressive and do things for their own personal point of view. Yeah. It's not true. The one possible thing that could help would be that we're seeing local elections. Like, so there have been like a couple of um, random elections that were are pushing the LDP out, um, right? And but I mean, now could be the moment. And it would it will, will be very interesting the next couple of months. I've been reading a couple of very interesting political articles about kind of what might lie ahead for. I don't think the LDP is going to be out. I don't. Th- I think that that is a pipe dream because the our version of the Democratic Party is nowhere near as cohesive as we, we're not in a two party system. No, we're in a one party system. I mean, yeah. people probably don't know listening to this. We are yeah. in a one party system yeah. where in literally fucking like 65 years of political history we have had one or two interruptions the entire time yeah and and part of that is like historically the u.s basically backed the ldp back in the day and um this was because of the red scare and all that kind of blah 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 
Um, but I mean, there it gets it gets too deep to talk about. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and so because but, I mean, most of the country was yeah. like aligned yeah. with like communist like activists like in the late yeah, 60s like, yeah. like during that time like the country was really for it like yeah. it, 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 and, it's and too much to even express one of my friends she actually did a lot of research for like her masters about this and she basically said like the communists helped get the country through like World War Two and like into a place where they could actually like get it together. I mean, because like, I think then, about fifteen years, fifteen years after fucking bombs have eliminated cities off of your country. Oh no, They're gone. <laughs> as, you know? as soon as as soon as the uh, the communists helped the um, the Americans, they immediately turned around and just prisoned them like fucking crazy. Well, it's not. It's not. You know, I don't. <laughs> they think they it's, put it's all the fucking like yakuza that. bosses in. No, oh, back back in the day, back in the day, it was like that. No, I I, I don't quite agree. I think that um, what happened was that leftism died by itself because I think that a lot of qualities... Oh, the grassroots definitely died very quickly. Well, I'm I, talking I, like I, the top people. Oh, well, the top were, people doesn't matter to me anyway in any, yeah. any point of history. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I'm just talking about like the, the larger political landscape. No, because I'm that, just but, thinking, you know, it's like there was a moment in like 1969, right, where like, yeah, there yeah, were yeah. public sentiment rested with like grassroots, like sure. non-elected political revolutionaries who thought they were going to like be able to like cause communist action and then they literally all killed each other and themselves mm. and then nothing since then mm. literally nothing yeah. there's in any country mm-hmm. any serious communist action in america even nothing since yeah. then we don't have any actual political mm. action now there's nothing all we have is the LDP and it's yeah. the same in America? It is exactly yeah, the same. It's two parties with the exact same thing. Yeah, going exactly. On. It's, you know, we, it's we saw Biden LDP, get elected, right. and it's just been more of the same. You know, the people on the ground are still doing the exact same thing. Either you know, trying to you know abide by you know some safety measures, or just trying to kill everybody that they can. Well, okay, my my, <laughs> I don't agree with that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, ta- I'm talking about the extremes on both sides. No, but, like, I mean the extremes on both sides to me is they're the same. It's like. They both want to kill everyone. Every, like, anyone who's like, COVID's never, blah, blah, blah. They are exactly the same as, you have to wear a mask and you can never leave your house and you can't do anything except, like, order, like, bug food to your house and, like, live in a coma. Like, they are exactly the same. The furthest right people and the furthest Democrat, I'm not going to say left, I'm going to say the furthest Democrat and the furthest, like, they are precisely the same to me. And it's because the common goal is to keep people in the easiest way to maintain them in. It, mm. The idea is to make sure that people are impressionable mm. and that they don't have an outlet to truly express or to feel or to, like, share that or, like, to engage with other people. Because if someone is isolated in a room by themselves for fucking two years or something, you can tell them anything and they'll believe it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, you're... I, I completely follow what you're saying. So, now. I just... Communism died. That's over. We don't have any more chance for leftist activism because it, everything is too individualized. And this is partially on behalf of leftism. It's like, because leftism, for some reason, bought into the stupid thing of, like, doing hyper-identity politics where focusing on the minutia of people's gender identity became the most important thing. I, sorry. I know you may not agree with all of this, and that's I, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm and listening. It's fine if you don't. I'm not... I'm not <laughs> for anyone who's, like, a, who like <laughs> follows you and is, like, listening, like, oh, cute. This doesn't have anything to reflect on you. I'm just saying it's, like, 
the opinions of Tokyo Homo Inc. do not exactly. reflect the... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's because leaning into the hyper minutia of that, instead of, like... You know, really thinking about like larger things, it, it's I, ruining the world. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some. Um, I, I think that what we saw with how long it took Japan to do anything practical, which is basically get the fucking vaccine into people's arms, right? To get us to a point where normalcy could be achieved without crazy high COVID numbers. Yeah. So you know, just talking practicals here. Mm-hmm. Came and went a long time ago. No, I completely, listen, I so, completely agree. And so, with that field, basically, and now we, you know, Delta doing her thing, whatever. You know, we we could never have achieved that that point of of a, of a true normalcy, but we never even got close. No, and never. Then, and the people know that now that the government just has been failing them constantly, constantly. So you're seeing all of these numbers rise in, in Tokyo, or not even Tokyo, around Everywhere. Japan. Where I was in, in yeah. Mie, right now, they're doing online classes now. Yeah. For the first time since, you know, yeah. and COVID it's, started. And it's literally because, exactly what you said, we've put all of these people into their own rooms for a year and a half. We can't do that as humans. We mentally cannot take that. And so the government either cannot or will not get there in terms of understanding like you know that human nature comes rearing its ugly head one way or another in this case i find it to be more of a just sheer inaction has led people to be so fucking tired yeah of no, living I completely agree. Way. No, I am, and so, so I, I'm just kind of removing the politics from from it a little bit. Just Which because, you should, because this, <laughs> this is my show. You're, you no, no. you know my show better than I do. No, no, no. So I, I'm just like I'm too tired to argue politics or anything like that. I'm I'm just saying like the the environment in which we find ourselves here in Japan today is Godzilla has been rampaging for a very long time. People are going to go out and take selfies even in the middle of the nuclear you know fire breath. Because that is what, you know, in this movie, in Shin Godzilla, there are people who go out into the streets and they they scream, Godzilla is God. Oh, uh, Godzilla Mamoru. Yeah. Godzilla Mamoru. Godzilla Mamoru. Yeah, uh, protect Godzilla, protect Godzilla. Um, and, and in front of the... That was such an interesting, like, kind of tidbit scene where it was like, you know... The, it's so short. All the, yeah. Because it, it doesn't matter the rest of the plot of the movie because it's just, yeah, it's just it, it's, showing that it's annoying to the people yeah. who are trying to fix it. Yeah. Which is another, like, beautiful little nationalist point to this movie. But it's like... I mean, COVID is God. I mean, because this is what people rally behind. This mm-hmm. is what people have to do to, like, serve their identity. And it's like, I'm stressed because mm-hmm. I want to be a human being in the traditional sense and not in the COVID sense. Yeah. And, you know, we spent fucking 45 minutes going through what we both had to share together. Yeah. And at the end of the day... It doesn't really matter, like, what our experiences are, because it's all dictated yeah. by someone fucking else. I mean, honest to God, like... And that's the whole point of this movie, too! I, I almost was like, can we do remote today, just because it's like, I'm seeing all the numbers coming up and stuff, and I'm just kind of like, oh, God, I don't... I feel like I shouldn't, like, go out and see any see people in person, that kind of thing, but I was like, you know what? No. I really want to come to this podcast in person. I want to see another human being. Yeah. I want to talk about something interesting, engaging, because I know that, you know... Okay, I'm vaccinated. If I if I get Delta from this, like you know, honest to God, I did everything I could. I did one bad thing. What can I do? I needed this interaction well, I mean, today. Like, who, who is telling you to feel that way? 
everything, the, the logic of, of the pandemic, of what, what we've who been... Who tells you the logic of the pandemic? No, just the science of it. Like, you shouldn't be in but a room with somebody the science? or whatever. Who instructs the science to you? You're not a scientist. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm serious. Like, who tells you this stuff? You know, Fauci and, and just common logic. I trust the Japanese Medical Society more, than I, more than I do the government. No, ma'am. Have you ever had a fucking dentist appointment here? I don't trust them. You got you to find, find good ones. That's the thing. It's like, you know, while, you, you, you know, you can't get... You can't even see a doctor in America. Here, you got to find the good doctor. Well, listen, I don't trust fucking Fauci for shit because of what he did to gay people. I mean, he... I, I, I give he, him... He fucked us. Like, royally. So... I put more blame on Reagan and Nancy than I do I don't. Else. Nancy Reagan had nothing to do with that. I she's think, a cunt. Fuck her. No, she's glad a she's cunt. Dead. I, you know what? I'm also glad she's dead because she was a... I'm glad both of them are dead. I'm, I'm sick of no, pretending no, no. that, like, you know, no, no, we no. can't be glad that people are dead. No, <laughs> like, no, I, fuck I, some, I fuck mean, a lot of people. I mean, no, listen. I don't like the Reagans. I, I'm... I, I have to explain myself for the lots of the lots of conservatives. <laughs> I think Nancy Reagan is the biggest roiglist fucking cunt in the world. Not because she didn't do enough AIDS activism, but because of what she did to Rock Hudson. She's evil for that. I think she's horrible for that. Ronald Reagan, awful president, did a shit job, terrible with AIDS. For sure. For sure. But I'm just saying everyone is the same no one since them has treated anything else any differently yeah i i think that maybe there would have been a more half-hearted response in support of helping with aids earlier if there was a bleeding heart in office but well i mean even, you know you had to think about the opposite side of the clinton, aisle the democrats clinton yeah even hillary clinton, they they had to you know evolve their politics like halfway through their fucking presidencies and it's just like this is why shin godzilla is correct okay <laughs> electoral politics are not real like they they don't do shit for you nobody wants anything good for you this movie is a fiction and a fantasy yeah. because there is no one in any office in japan america any part of this world who wants to do you as a human any good but bernie sanders and aoc no bernie oh my god not aoc <laughs> not <laughs> I love watching her involve into a politician. It's really fun. This is the only way to watch politics is correctly is like to watch it as if it's Shin Godzilla. Like just watch it as a fucking movie because like AOC is a hilarious Tennessee Williams character. <laughs> she is going for the Blanche Dubois. Yeah. Really, honestly, God, I don't even like know anything about her. I I'm give just, up like, on American I, politics. I haven't tried to pay attention. Yeah. I don't read. I'm so any sorry. Of that shit. I'm, I'm just like I'm watching Biden kind of fumble with the Taliban thing. I'm just kind of like okay. Okay. Afghanistan, that's not real. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I can't. For the love of God, no. I just, I literally cannot be bothered to like give an opinion about that. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? And okay, I'm so tired. There's too many things here. There's, there's, just <laughs> like, think. Of, we don't, think, I don't live there. Think about how literally everybody, like, the Guardian, the New York Times, everything. They immediately switched off of COVID conversation to report massively about the Taliban. And I think, th- I think that's another symptom of everyone's just tired. Everyone's tired. <laughs> like, like, I have to scroll down on the Guardian <laughs> in order to find any kind of COVID coverage. It's like, oh, oh do you know how difficult it is to find out how many people got infected with, in, with COVID in Tokyo today? It took me, like, 
two minutes. It's surprisingly easy if you have a TV. That is a weird thing about Japan is that I was I was going to a clinic. I was going to because I check like NHK's like um, uh-huh. like numbers thing religiously because I'm a faggot. But like basically, <laughs> but like I was shocked because I went to like a, a clinic a couple weeks ago um, and I was able to see the numbers like immediately at six. And I was like, what? I usually have to wait until like eight until all of these are up. And it was just right there on TV. Oh my God. Yeah. T- oh like, my God. T- TV, like, like in Godzilla, TV had the answers way before the politicians yeah, because did. Yeah, this movie is conducted on TV. Like, they just like show other people showing it on TV. It's like, this is why, you know, Titanic could never have predicted something at the same level that Shin Godzilla did. Like, the way that we receive information about COVID and like the bizarre fantasies and God worship that we commit to it. Imagine, it was said exactly in this movie. Imagine trying to explain Shin Godzilla as a movie to somebody in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It basically is like that. Because do you know how many people like whine on the internet about how Shin Godzilla doesn't have enough fight scenes or enough like Oh my Godzilla. god, those people need to suck a dick. Those people need <laughs> to like you know what you said earlier, you said earlier, right? That we need to get past not wanting people to die. I want people who don't like Shin Godzilla to die. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, literally, Wendy Williams, death to them. <laughs> death to all of them. Death to them. Get in the helicopter. Like, I, do, I do not understand how people close their hearts to this movie. It, it's like, yeah, it's a political thriller. It is. It is. Enjoy it. No, it's good. Watch the movie. Like, you don't have to have some thrilling moment with every line of dialogue with this movie because it is building to the extreme moments. The intense moments, the the few moments that you get of intensity with Godzilla are built. Exactly. It's earned. It's built up. You spend literally 45 minutes understanding the exact minutia of how Godzilla works so that when it actually happens, it is especially horrifying. So, do not ever. If literally any person says this to me, like Shin Godzilla is boring, I will kill you on the spot. I so, will shoot you. Shin Ultraman. Can't wait. Shin Ultraman, directed by Ano Hideaki. It's coming. What is it gonna be? It could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. Shin Ultraman I will is stand. COVID. Shin Ultraman <laughs> is a virus, and people just turn into Shin Ultraman. I mean, oh sounds hot God. to me. Do you know how much like fetish porn is on the internet is like for Ultraman, like Tokusatsu? Oh, stuff? I have such a latex thing. I'm all for it. Period. I mean, <laughs> I I recently saw like a porno video on this vid of like some like Sentai hero getting like jerk off tortured, and I thought it was pretty hot. Fabulous. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna cut it there. <laughs> Am I gonna cut it there? I think you should cut it there. <laughs>